For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Lines are open. You can text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Came up talking about weather. I came up from Port McGee this morning very, very early. Uh, got a couple of lovely photographs. I'll share them later on on Instagram. One is a massive moon, big, huge, bright moon. Um, and then when you turn around, you see the sun rising from behind the mountains in the east. It was an amazing shot, two different photographs to see both moon and sun doing their thing uh, of an early morning. Ireland to bask in four more days of sunshine with highs of 24 degrees, says the Independent this morning. The Riviera-like conditions will peak today and tomorrow. Some places will get 24 to 25 degrees. So it's getting hotter is a headline making the mirror today. I'm giving it to you as the tabloid see it. The mirror are talking about 26 degrees. And so are the star, actually. Fry and dry as heat wave near, nears. They've got 26 degrees, probably right in the middle of the country for that, I'd imagine. But there's also a drought fear because of the hot spell. Uh, and, if, you know, if temperatures actually hit the 26 as they're talking about in some parts of the country this week, that would mean that we would officially have a heat wave. So lots of papers this morning talking about, um, you know, optimistically thinking, believing that it will continue. And if it does, I mean, I'll, I'll take it, no problem. It's an interesting one, though, uh, online, uh, where people are just saying, in spite of the Irish weather and the fabulous, this is week three of it now, to be honest with you, more and more people um, are just going overseas for the holidays because they're finding Ireland too expensive. I'll break down uh, the research. They spoke to uh, 2,000 people. It's a report from myhome.ie, but six in ten decided to travel outside of Ireland because there's better value uh, overseas than staying within their own country, and one of the main reasons uh, that they, well, it's the it's the it's the price of everything really. It could be restaurants and and bars, but primarily hotel prices. So we'll come back to that a little later on this morning. But you know, one other weather related story that makes the papers today is something that we saw on Reddit this morning. This misfortune happens to uh, love barbecuing. Uh, he's got a fence with his neighbours next door, but unfortunately, the neighbours are vegan. Um, so he took to online over the weekend saying, our neighbours, um, um, man is taking a Reddit to share how his neighbours ordered him to stop using his barbecue because the smell of the meat is disturbing her. <laughs> and there's nothing, there's nothing you can do to prevent the waft of a barbecue going in next, doors, next door. So um, uh, how you get around that if your neighbours are vegan or vegetarian, I don't know. Like, technically, you don't have to stop and do anything uh, that your neighbour wants you to do. It's your property and you can do whatever you wish. Well, as long as it's legal. And last time I checked, barbecuing a steak or a juicy burger or a jumbo sausage, ain't nothing illegal about that. Uh, maybe not neighbourly to the vegan, but what are your thoughts on that? Text 0868104106. Another story that we'll come back to a little later on is the front pager making this morning's examiner. It tells the story of Alice Donovan. 78-year-old Alice Donovan, who was in the Mercy University Hospital in December of 2020 until she died from COVID-19 in the early hours of January 30th, 2021. Now, um, this story is tragic. Her daughter, Alison McCarthy, has been fighting since uh, to find out what happened during her mother's time in the hospital. Her mother phoned 999 and spoke to the guardie. And Alison, her daughter, wants to know what prompted her mum to phone the guards. She's quoted as saying, they've said now my mother was alone when she died. I live four minutes away from the hospital. It is such a tragic story. Uh, And I will come back to it a little later this morning and hope to speak uh, with Alice's daughter 
um, Alison, as I say, but there's one paragraph in the examiner story that's just so sad because Alice, when she rang the guard, she said, this is ringing the guards on 999 and, and Alison has heard the recording of her mother on 999 as well so it must be very traumatic for her, very upsetting. Alice told the guards, my family don't know where I am. Um, I have been moved a number of times within the hospital. You can hear all the machines beeping in the background incidentally. Uh, the last thing she said to the guard was a male guard. She said to him, I'm 78 years of age, boy. Don't forget about me. Isn't that so sad? Oh, it's just tragic. All to do, of course, with uh, COVID and everything that was going on during COVID. And another story from overnight, actually, is a major fire on the north side. Um, six houses, um, um, six ro- a row of six houses up in, in Ardmore Avenue. It's an echo story today where there was a lot of um, members of the fire brigade had to attend um, the Cork City Fire Brigade. A blaze affected a row of six houses in Knocknaheeny. So that makes the front and inside pages of this morning's um, echo. I'm, just, I'm very curious about this row of six houses because... I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I know that there was one family lived in one in one of the houses on the block, but as to the other five, we we don't know if anybody was living in them. And then, of course, we have a lot of problems, of course, with litter in this uh, fair city of ours, but not just litter, also with dog fouling. Did you know that there was just one dog fouling fine issued last year uh, by Cork City Council? Just one, uh, just one, and none at all have been issued uh, up to the end of March of, of this year. Um, why? I, I think it might be difficult to catch them in the act, the dogs and the owner. Who do you find? The owner or the dog? I suppose you find the owner for the dog, but um, maybe they just don't have enough you know, dog wardens or whatever the case may be, or I don't know, there's a fall under the remit of, of, of litter wardens. And then uh, another, another absolute fiasco, of course, is the NCT system in this country. Um, it probably comes as no surprise now but the headline in the mail this morning says the NCT firm behind the NCT is to be fined millions for their long delays. Now, the company behind it, Aplus, is saying we're not 100% to blame for the chaos within the NCT because there's about 3,500 people every week who are not turning up for their appointments. They're just not turning up, 3,500. So I don't know how you deal with these people who don't show. But they also have a big issue with staff or trying to hire staff at Aplus. But even the junior minister behind it, uh, the junior minister himself, the Minister of State for Transport, he has said that... Um, well, he said that they failed. He says that it is a complete failure. And they're the words of the motorist, of the uh, uh, the minister himself. The delays are absolutely unacceptable, causing great concern to many motorists, causing excessive worry and anxiety, and is compounded by the fact that Angarda Shikona have said, yes, you will be fined if you don't have a valid NCT certificate on your car. But does that mean that you, when you have the, instead you might have the date of appointment stuck up on the windscreen of your car. Would the guards be okay with that? Because technically, no. They're saying they want an NCT cert. It has to be valid, full stop. And then, of course, it's easy to see when you have more staff, whether it's a litter warden or whatever the case may be, or members of Angarda Shikona, um, you find that crime drops. And it's, it's an interesting statistic that makes the Independent today proving just that, that cities outside of the capital of Dublin suffer the biggest spike in crime. So when you have big um, amounts of Gardaí and lots of open Garda stations, crime goes down. When the opposite happens, crime goes up. And they look at various areas uh, around the country and hone in in particular in Formoy and indeed Watergrass Hill that have had, uh, sadly, um, a, 23 point, uh, a 20% increase in criminal activity in Formoy 
and a 57% increase in Watergrass Hill. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Because it's proof to the pudding that Morgardie on the beat is a deterrent to criminality. And the papers also this morning online talk about the amount of children under the age of 15 that are now being prescribed uh, antidepressants. Thousands of 12 to 15 year olds are being being prescribed antidepressants. Surely be to God there could be a better way. Who am I to say there could be all sorts of valid reasons behind why a child would be given antidepressants but it's just the scale of it this morning where they're talking about 6,541 prescriptions for antidepressants issued to children aged 0 to 15 in 2012 and now it's risen significantly to 15,000 in 2022. So how could you have a two and a half times increase in the space of 10 years? 15,000 um, 113 prescriptions for antidepressants for children under the age of 15. The papers also talked today about another interesting change with regards to our legislature, and that is uh, a Work-Life Balance Act that was just signed into law in April. There is such a thing now as a Work-Life Balance Act. It's quite detailed, all the different things in it, but one that's of interest because we've touched on this on the air on many times um, in the past, but people will be entitled to five days statutory paid leave if they're experiencing domestic abuse at home. So that's an interesting one. And then we have lots of ways of which, of course, uh, the state ends up uh, paying out money. And one is compensation claims. 1.4 billion euro. Billion, not million, obviously. 1.4 billion. Like, that's um, a lot of dosh in compensation claims against the HSE in the past five years alone. It equates to about 10,000 legal cases taken against the health service since 2018. The worst year for civil actions was 2019, uh, but it's been consistently bad when you look at a total of five-year period of 1.4 billion uh, euro. And in smaller money, but still, I think, shameful myself that, you know, you have a junior minister who went with his private secretary and flew business class to Brazil for St. Patrick's Day. The total bill for their flights cost nine grand. Of course, this is the shambles of all of these ministers and junior ministers and all sorts of different people who travel all over the world for St. Patrick's Day. I'd love to get a full total for the entire trip all over. Uh, But junior minister Sean Fleming Fleming and his private secretary uh, didn't hold back where they were flying and flew business class to Brazil. Nine grand. Thank you very much. And also, you know the cost of... um, uh, Joe Biden travelling to Mayo. That's come in at €120,000. You know, Mayo for Sam moment. Um, they break it down this morning in the sun as to how, in the name of God, it cost grand to make everything ship-shape and clean and sparkly uh, for President Biden. Well, apparently a lot of it had to do uh, with patching up potholed roads. <laughs> Was a pothole to be seen in the county Mayo all because Biden was coming and calling. They also had to go around then and spend huge amounts of money on removing chewing gum from the streets of Ballina. Don't you just love it? Several thousand was spent on flags and bunting. There was a fortune then spent litter picking on the N17 because that would have been the road that he'd been travelling on. In fact, they were so, um, you know, keen to impress that not only did they pick up all the litter on the N17, but they also remarked and repainted all the road lines. 120 grand later. 
Anyway, you know the story with Irish Rail and the catering is back on the Cork Dublin train, but they're not taking cash. That doesn't come as news to us because we dealt with this on the air. But the mail say that more and more customers are really, really annoyed about this. Uh, everything is tap and go, tap and go, tap and go. And that's wrong, particularly from people uh, who are older or who rely on cash. And the papers this morning talk about the junior and leaving certificate exams that begin tomorrow. 120,000 students will sit. More on that a little later on this morning. But the Irish Daily Mirror has some really great stress-busting tips as to how you can get through it and how to focus ahead of it, you know, what you should do on the day before the exam, the night before, what you should eat, what you should drink, water, Eh, nothing else works as good as water, what you should do to deal with stress and, of course, looking towards the end of the exams, what do you do when everything is finished? Um, I would have thought that the only bit of advice is forget about it. When it's over, it's over. Somebody else's problem, Mark in the papers. But more on that again throughout the course of the morning. And listen, there's, there's lots of other stories which I'll come back to. But I, I love the techie ones, actually. Apple has announced its latest gadget. I think they did so yesterday, if you're an Apple, if you're an Apple fan. It's, a, it's um, an incredible new um, Apple Vision Pro headset uh, where you can live away, happy out in your own virtual reality and it'll set you back €2,800. And I was talking about stuff to do with food earlier on this morning and burgers and your man and barbecues and your man living next door to a vegan. If you've been in Lidl any time recently, you may well have seen a new um, burger that's made out of insect larvae insect burgers um, you might have done a double take I'm, I'm, cert- I'm going to try it I am I'm going to try it it's the new nosh it's textured textured soya flour and ground dried mealworm lava lar- larva would you eat it I mean technically it's dried bugs um, probably got a great old, great old crunch off them though a crispy crunch off them um, but they're retailing in a pack of two for two ninety nine. perhaps you've already tried them if so let me know what they taste like text 0868 104 106 um, there are other food related stories actually um, you know the chef Tom Kerridge uh, he's got uh, a lot of different uh, restaurants he's got one inside in Harrods apparently and he makes the sun today he's a very famous chef because he's now selling fish and chips for 40 euro I mean when you want your head tested it's made even worse then when you find that there's only eight chips on the plate. Some chefs are like that. They think it's really cool to give you very little food. It's probably very pretty, but it's very little of it. So his fish and chips, including eight chips, 40 euro. I was in Dingle at the weekend. Anybody been to Dingle recently? There's a, a takeaway and a sit-down restaurant in Dingle up the hill. It's called the Fish Box. Superb. Well worth checking out. Absolutely fabulous fish. Uh, and if you're heading west along, down around uh, Jersey Cable Car, there's a, a chipper there, a mobile chipper. I think it's Murphy's have it. They're a family. They even have trawlers and they catch their own fish and everything. They do the most incredible fish and chips. Just two tips for you for whenever you're having it yourself. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. Let me start with that story that I'm reading from the Echo this morning and this is the house fires, house houses fires on the north side last night. Around about 9 o'clock last night I'm told that um, the fire brigade was alerted uh, at that stage then six units with 16 firefighters rushed to the scene at Ardmore Avenue in Knocknaheeny to tell us all about it. Victor Shine, second officer with Cork City Fire Service. Victor, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Thanks for taking the call. Um, the efforts of the Fire Brigade very much commended by the people of um, Knocknaheeny and indeed local councillors. So well done on that one. But what happened? Tell us about it. 
Um, we received a call at 16 minutes past 8 uh, yesterday evening to uh, a substantial house fire in Nocknihini. Um Units arrived very quickly on scene. Within uh, four minutes, they, they got to the scene to find that two of the houses were involved in the fire and a third, all unoccupied, uh, was heavily smoke-logged. So um, these houses were secured up with um, steel shuttering and so on, so access to the buildings were was difficult. And City Council staff came up and opened up the houses and uh, gave us access to those. But um, it was brought under control uh, relatively quickly and um, the fire was concluded at 23 minutes past 12 mm. um, last night. Mm. There was a family living in one of them, Victor, I believe, right? That's correct. At the end of the block, there was um, a family living in the house. Um, there was some smoke travelled down towards that uh, premises. They were taken out of the house temporarily. And um, so I believe they're expected to have been moved this week to... Um, and new accommodation. Okay, was their home destroyed? I mean, what what kind of damage to the six properties? Yeah, no, no. Uh, the, the the house that was initially initially in the fire was completely destroyed, and the other houses were damaged. Uh, the house next to that was some some heat damage and smoke damage, and the third house that was affected was smoke damage. But all that property was due to be demolished um, in the very near future. Oh, okay. So that's why five of the six were empty and vacant. It's not as if they were awaiting tenants. They were to be demolished. To the best of my knowledge, yeah, they were to be demolished. Okay. okay. The, uh, okay. Program. And can you, can you tell at this stage if that was deliberate arson, Victor? Well, the guards are having a very close look at this one anyway. Um, there were some indications that some of the sheeting may have been uh, moved or damaged and uh, that's where they, the seat of the fire was was located. Um, is it up to the fire brigade or the guardie to identify an accelerant, or, or, or whose, whose responsibility would that be? Yeah, the guardie, and they were on scene last night just uh, doing some uh, forensic work and so on, so they'll be just looking into the cause of the fire. Okay, but, uh, but, but are you officially saying this morning that the indications are that it was malicious intent? Yeah, so there, there were indications that there was some damage to the, the, the shuttering, which possibly led to somebody getting into the property. Okay, that's um, that's bad news, isn't it? That's a shame to hear. God almighty, weren't you? Weren't we all very lucky that the five of the six houses were unoccupied, right? Absolutely, yes, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I want to I wanna thank you for taking the call and also thank um, all those involved in that uh, operation last night. Thanks as always, Victor. Much obliged you for taking the call. Three houses ba- affected, he's saying. One house badly damaged, another smoke damaged, and a third not too bad. But the family who were in one of the six houses, of course, had to leave their home and now will be, um, I'm assuming, looked after with some sort of... They got overnight accommodation, but I'm sure that um, council will do something to find them somewhere to live in the interim. Uh, just staying with this, actually, Councillor Tony Fitzgerald also makes uh, this morning's echo, and he joins me by phone. Tony, good morning. Morning, Neil. Because I was curious as to why five of the six were empty, right? But apparently that block, that row was for demolition, is it? Uh, that's right, Neil. It's in, on, on the site of the regeneration project, which is a, a very a slow process in terms of trying to move people uh, from uh, their homes to new properties or alternative properties. It's on a block on Arbor Avenue. Um, I suppose one end, the, the first five were, were vacant because people have already moved in the last couple of weeks or a couple of months and there was one tenant left uh, which was uh, have actually been allocated a property last week 
So they will be moving probably today now, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, or uh, certainly this week, uh, to their to their new home. Um, and unfortunately, the, the other five were vacant. Um, and um, I want to pay tribute to the firefighters for their work last night and the Gardaí, very difficult job to do. Um, and um, hopefully now the regeneration team this morning will get in with, with the Gardaí to establish exactly what happened. Um, and I would expect that once the family moves out, um, that this and utilities are, are disconnected, i.e. gas and electricity and storage and all that, um, I would expect that this block would be demolished pretty quickly okay. under the regeneration programme. Okay, just one, just one or two uh, observations on that. I, I'm assuming then that this family's possessions um, are secure and safe and not damaged, right? Uh, just both of them this morning, Neil, we're just checking on that. Obviously, it wasn't safe there to sleep last night due to smoke inhalation. Um, so they were able to move to the property that they've been allocated already. Um, so I suppose that the council will be uh, visiting them this morning to see what damage is done to their, to their you know, mattresses and, you know, uh, clothes and all that. So we'll support them in any way we possibly can to, to see what the situation is there. Um, and so I, I won't know that until maybe today or tomorrow exactly what the condition of their property. their 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 their, uh, their own piece, their own property is. What if, and it would seem to indicate uh, deliberate arson, malicious intent, um, and the Garda Shikana will be investigating that. What if it is proved to have been someone, person, or persons unknown who set fire to that row of buildings? What, what would you make of that? Well, it's very disappointing if that is the case. You know, I mean, to be fair, um, the area is has transformed dramatically over the last number of years. Um, you know, not the is now a very difficult, dif- dif- different place to live in. Many services there, many people coming in for shopping, many people coming in for services. The whole regeneration scheme has kind of transformed the area. Um, it takes time. It's a very slow program to try to move six, seven hundred young uh, families. Oh no, um, no I, but, I understand that. And um, yeah, you know, and, is, is, but, is it that you got people or individuals who see boarded-up buildings or barricaded buildings or shuttered buildings, mm-hmm. and they decide, oh well, you know, there is no use to yeah. anybody. Let's just burn them down. Well, it's totally unacceptable if that is the case. Um, to, uh, with the council trying. As soon as all the services are, are, are disconnected, you know, the demolition trying to move in as quickly as possible to avoid uh, incidents such as this. There has been one or two, but in the main, the transition has been quite good. Uh, but it's totally unacceptable um, that if this is the case, uh, and we'll hear from the Gardaí and the City Council later on, uh, but I, I'll be uh, talking to our community Gardaí to see what preventative measures can be put in with the working together with the Council and... Um, and with the with with the guardy to prevent uh, further incidents like this because it's totally unacceptable. There are a few more blocks to go now while while um, while mm. this has been done. So we don't want this happening. It's important that you know our fire services are free to to be available to the to to, to the public and the guardy and um, a minority of of people who are engaged in uh, in this act, which, which is getting fewer and fewer. I have to say, Neil. Um, because there's lots and lots of young people involved in different things in sports. Oh, I don't mean this to be... An, that, I'm not saying yeah. that it was young yeah. people, and this is not meant to be a criticism of young people. But yeah, I know, ju- that. I know just that. Just whomever it were, I imagine people yeah. listening to this programme would like them prosecuted, if possible, to the full extent absolutely. of the law. Absolutely, and that's the way it should be. And, okay. uh, you know, we, we, you know, you know that, that will be fully investigated and... Um, Hopefully they can identify whoever. If this is the case, but indications from uh, the fire brigade is that 
some of the shuttering was disturbed. And it is quite difficult to do, to move this shuttering uh, Neil as well. You know, yeah. it's not it's not yeah. that easy to move it. Yeah. Um, um, but um, uh, I suppose look overall, thankfully uh, nobody was injured. True. T- thank God. And, and that's a relief. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and the houses, even though some people think because they thought that they were being allocated to other people, they're not. They're being they're being demolished, and hopefully this family. Um, can can move out now pretty quickly, and we'll get uh, working straight away on demolishing the block okay. and the others that are, that are in the right. area. Obliged to you, Tony. Thanks so much as for taking the call this morning. Never. Take care. Thank you. Cheers, Councillor Tony Fitzgerald, and he's right when he says, "Where's the effect?" I mean, the Echo puts it this morning: relief, nobody was injured in the blaze, as housing is sought for the family who've had to move out. But then again, if, for instance, this is malicious, uh, let the Gardaí do their job um, and. If they're underage, we probably will never know much about it. But if they're overage, um, let us all find out um, if there was criminal intent and let it be prosecuted then to the full extent of the law. Back after the break, text 0868 104 106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Back to a story that I mentioned uh, at the top of the programme and this is the story of an elderly woman um, who rang 999 um, and the voicemail has been heard by the family subsequent to that before she died alone in the Mercy University Hospital. I'm talking about Alice uh, Donovan. Um, Her daughter, Alison McCarthy, has since then been fighting to try and find out what happened during her mother's time in the hospital and what actually prompted her to call 999. I have spoken in the past with Alison on this, but she joins me again by phone. Alison, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Um, I'm grand, but more to the point, how are you two years on? St- still grieving, I'd say. Grieving in many different ways for your, for your beautiful it's mother. Grieve. It's a different grief, Neil. I, didn't, I don't think I actually grieved. I thought I grieved, but I don't think I did until last Monday. Yeah. Until yeah. I got the ambulance report back. Um, yeah. I never screamed. I never roared. I was never hysterical. You know, that kind of way. Yeah. But last Monday, I did. Yeah. What, so did, the report, what did the report say? Um it held the mercy the mercy up on um a lot of my complaints and they couldn't take on um medical issues they could just take on the 999 call i suppose and the fall that she had um regarding the 999 call they made an error in the hospital when i did um contact them first day with all the hundreds of emails saying that they checked the ward she was on but i woke up one day and i said she wasn't on that ward so i emailed them again and i said you're checking the wrong ward so I had to point out that they made an error in checking the wrong ward. So they spent a year and a half um, investigating my mum on a ward that she wasn't on at the time that she rang the guards. So why by the you, time, why <laughs> do you think she? Why do you think she rang the guardie? Was this was this um, after she tested positive or before? No, no, no. This was two days in. This like she was in for four and a half weeks without us. Yeah. But this was this was actually just two days in, and um, she was moved, I suppose, from the A and E to another ward but um, I don't know whether she was moved in her sleep or whether she was moved during the night but when she woke up she wasn't in the ward she was in previous and I suppose when she couldn't get a visit and none of her family were in and I wasn't left in because I was always with her um, she just panicked and rang you know, she did say a lot of other stuff in the 99 call which I'm not going to say but she um, Well you say what you're comfortable saying you heard the you oh, heard no, the recording yeah, I, I had to go and listen to it with my sister and I wouldn't wish this is why I'm highlighting it Neil it's just Neil it shouldn't happen like I shouldn't have you should be left grieve someone you shouldn't left you shouldn't be left listen to this because this would haunt you forever you know what I mean this is appalling and then for not to check the right word like by the time they did check the right word 
the email last week came back and said by the time they did check the right wards that I did point out the ward she was in and the two staff members um, one has left and one can't recall it's so, so long ago so that was the response yeah, the voice recording said and this is your ma'am Alice talking yeah. to a male guard she said my mm-hmm. family don't know where I am no. Um, I've been moved a number of times. Uh, <clears throat> she said the last yeah. thing she said to the guard was, "I'm 78 years of age, boy. Don't forget about don't me. Don't forget. Please don't forget about me." Like she said, her name, her date of birth, where she lived, who she wanted to contact. Please contact um, my son Robert. Um, she gave the address and just tell my family where I am. But that, that was that message was never com- it was conveyed back to the hospital from the guard on the night. So the guard then, when when that when he got that nine 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 call, he contacted the mercy. Is it? Oh, he did. He he contacted mercy, and the call is logged. I have it on guard a paper that the guard um, made contact with the hospital and checked on my mother's welfare. Um, the call is logged on the nine 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 system, and the call is logged on the guard system, but obviously not on the mercy. And did so, anybody in the mercy then go to your mother's bed to check on her? I don't know because how I found out was I rang on the, the that morning on the 30th of December. I rang to see how my mum was, and the nurse came on the phone and just said um, she rang the guards last night. But it was a it was a kind of a, a laugh, like it was kind of a like a, like I, I thought nothing of it because nothing was made of it. But the phone was taken from the nurse by an understudy, and then the continued the, the, the conversation continued on then like um, for medical, what she was taken off, what she was put on, how she was doing. So I made nothing of it, Neil, because. Nothing was made of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They played and it I, down, so you didn't they did, react to they it. Did, yeah. They did. Now my brother did get in the following day because she cut her leg, and I just said we need to see her. Like it was on my mind about the nine and nine calls. So when he did get in, I just said check her leg, obviously because it was cut. But like I wasn't told about that either. But screenshot whatever's on her phone, and she was saying, "What are you doing?" And he said, "I'm just checking your call credit. See if you have enough credit." Yeah. So he he screenshotted the, the nine and nine calls, so we had proof that it was made of a time and a date, so I could follow up afterwards. With the the guys, mm, mm. did your but brother ask her like, why she called nine nine nine, or did she never, did, did, did Sharon ask her your sister? Or we never, no, no, we never did because she was on um <clears throat> she was sedated a bit at the time, and you know my mum had a fear of the guards, and she would only ring the guards if something really happened, which she never did before. But I didn't want to bring it up if nothing was made yeah. of it. You know what I mean? So I didn't want to upset her by thinking she might have said, did I ring the guards? I don't yeah. remember. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but she yeah. didn't say that. <coughs> no, it's just that I mean, without, clearly we do not, no one wants to upset you, but she must have been distraught oh, yeah. in, in some distraught. way or worried distraught. or frightened yeah. or something. Yeah. Like that, that call, like her voice, I mean, she didn't talk like mine talking. No, she was actually like, I'm <laughs> She actually couldn't, you know, it, and I didn't listen to it once. I went down with my sister, we listened to it twice because we were like, I had to pinch myself. I was like, did this really happen? Like, why isn't this call logged? You know, it's logged in the guard system and I want to make that, um, people aware of that. The guards were fantastic. The inspector was fantastic. The call was logged and they made contact with the Mercy to check on my mother. Yeah. But yeah. Some, tr- some crack in the system in the Mercy Hospital and I suppose in our health system has let my mother down. But, but, you, know? but the, you know, through COVID, particularly that period of COVID, it's even hard to remember what the rules and regulations were at the time. There, there, were, there were short visits, weren't there? You, you, you got in, Alison got, sorry, Sharon well, got, got in. in you... Yeah, I got in towards the end on the 28th um, and I just said, I have enough, I need to see her. I said, like, this is ridiculous, she needs to be with us. And I got in, but I was, I was told that was it, like, as if I won the lotto, that's it, you can't get in anymore. But it depended who was on. You know, when I left, I was hysterical, and the nurse said, "Look, you can come in again tomorrow." Whispered, 
and I got back in for a quarter of an hour that following morning and I was the only one that was left in then that day but I stood back and left my sister go. Um, Had your mum COVID at that stage? Yeah, she picked up COVID the week previous but we weren't told that either until, over, until I rang the following morning. I was just told she wasn't in this ward anymore. I just kind of felt they could, ring, they could change her from ward to ward without telling anybody but like if you were allowed to visit and you went to the ward to look for your mother in, say, one ward, and she wasn't there, then you'd create more and say, where is she? But, I mean, when we couldn't see her, she was just moved without our consent, I suppose, and without us being informed, you know? I could often ring the ward. Mm. The number, the speed dial, say, if, I was, if she was in one ward, I'd ring, and well, then it would go directly to the ward. But as she was deteriorating then, um, you, you did get to visit? I did, towards, for a fight in the 28th. Like, after, she went in on the 27th of December, my brother had a 15-minute um, visit, which I begged for, on the 30th of December, and I didn't see my mother. No one saw her until the 28th of January. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She was never away from me. Anyone that knows us, like, she was like my right arm. You know, she she was safe. Because I'd often say, Mom, you're okay now? She said, that's because I can hear your voice. Yeah. You know? I know. So that was, like, on the phone or... You know, would you yeah. have would you have FaceTime and things like that? No, we never had FaceTime. We nope. never. We nobody never, held nobody nope. held the phone up. Nope. Video. Nope. No. Um, no, no, they did hold the phone up. I suppose two days previous on the twenty sixth of of January, um, the nurse held the phone up, and I just told her how much I loved her and how strong, stay strong, and that was the last words that I spoke to my mother. That was that was the last conversation I had with her until I got in on the twenty eighth. And that's 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 so sad, but so beautiful that visit because you sat with her and oh, painted her I nails. Her tell us, tell us about I that. I never, I never let her hand go, and I would, you know, I won't lie. I did stay an hour on the Thursday. I didn't even, I didn't care who was going to drag me out. I didn't call the bell. I held her hands. I painted her nails. She was meticulous about her appearance. I told her how much of a trooper she was and how brave she was. She like I know everyone says they're the hero, but like. This woman went through so much. She minded everyone when she was alive. And I thought it was time. Nothing happened to my mother when she was in my care. Nothing. She never had to fall. She never wanted for anything. You know. But She's a <clears throat> glamorous, beautiful woman. The oh, photograph, she isn't she? The photograph in the exam. What gorgeous yeah. hair and fabulous yeah. style about her. She was perfect, Neil. She, I know everyone says their, their parents and their mother is perfect. We had a beautiful life and she had a beautiful life. Do you know what I mean? She may have died alone, Neil, but by me... I don't know where I'm getting the strength to do this. I think at, at the moment, she's actually, after jumping into my body, and her voice is coming out. Because yeah, yeah. she's given me strength that I don't think I had, you know. But did you get an awful shock when you saw how she deteriorated? Yeah, yeah. I bought a picture in of my daughter's <clears throat> taking my mum's house. My mum lived in Maximilian's Village and she took pride in her home. And she loved her hanging baskets and she had a view of the city in Shandon. So every photograph you'd come, you'd get a picture at the front door. So I have three daughters, Katie and Ali and Sophie, who she idolised. No, she idolised all her grandkids. But I suppose we were in contact with my mum every day. She was like my extra child. <laughs> um, and we, that picture was brought in with me and I framed it and my daughter wrote down, I love you lots, like jelly tots. That was her saying. Um, but when I went to the nurse in the in the ward, she was like, I'm holding the picture. And I was like, that's my mum. So I actually knew then. I was like, Alison, prepare yourself here now. So when I did go in, I just had to gasp because what I saw, like, it was my mum, but it wasn't, you know? I know, I know, um, I know, I know. But, like, when, when I did get the picture back and I spoke to a lovely nurse afterwards, <clears throat> she said she was showing everybody the picture 
and the love you laugh like jelly tots was actually smudged and rubbed off because she kept touching it. Ah. And yeah. Sharon went in sometime after you and they sang a she few songs, in, yeah. I think, did they? She did. She loved um, Funny Knowles and she loved um, The Second Time by Elaine Page. So Sharon would be a different person to me. She went in and she was reminiscing about long ago and Sharon would take my mum away for weekends to give me a break and stuff. So she had a lovely time as well. And I'm just glad I stood back and let her go because the rest of the family were fighting to get in and we were told no. But when but my mum passed... But that visit, yeah, when, passed, when you sat with yeah. her, you, you, did you know that this was the last time you'd be sitting and talking to your mum? Well, on the, on the Thursday, I was told, yes, this is this, this is, you won't get in anymore. So I valued my hour that I had with her, you know. But, like, she wasn't out of it. Like, I, I actually FaceTimed my family and they were all talking to her and stuff. And afterwards, I rang my brother back and I said, where are Because he lives with her. And I said, where are you? And I, he said... And down at the market getting fish. And I said, Mom, I'm getting fish for you now. And she was like, a small bit, because she was filling over the portion sizes. <laughs> and then he said, I'm going to go to the chemist now in a minute for my tablets. And she said, don't forget the small blue one. That was her sleeping <laughs> tablet. So, like, this was on the Friday, you know. So, like, we laugh at it now because she was making sure he didn't forget that blue calcium sleeping tablet, you know. <laughs> Yeah. But she was a funny character and I want people to remember her. I don't want people to feel sorry for her because she had an amazing life. And my eight-year-old said that. She said, you can't feel sorry for Nan because she had a lovely life. Hard to walk away from someone that you love so much very, and, very and hard. they're still alive knowing that you're not going to see them again. Yeah, and I knew by her face that time because I said, I said, Mom, I'll call back later and just go home to give the kids their dinner. And the nurse said, don't tell her that because she's going to be really anxious. So they, that was the last thing. Like I went back three times and kissed her and squeezed her. I didn't care about COVID. Not that I didn't care. I was gowned up. Um, I left the mask and I had a mask on I left the goggles off because I, I can't it's the only thing I had with my mask I sure I understand that completely um, yeah. but, but the phone rang um. I rang myself and the, Sharon got in and she said no the nurse said she's fine she's not going anywhere tonight so I kind of said you know well at least we'll all get in tomorrow because we, we rang and we said look we have to get in and they said yeah you, you can get visits tomorrow because there's six of us in family so I was like my brothers need to get in as well you know, I didn't want to be the only one that said, oh, yeah, you've gone to see mum and no one else. So that's why I said that. I said, look, I stand back being the unselfish person that I am. I do that, you know. Yeah. I said my piece. I didn't need to say any more. I know I'd have loved to, but yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I valued someone else to get in. Of course, there were other but people in the family. I rang, I rang at 12 o'clock on the 29th, maybe going into the morning of the 30th, and there was no answer from the phone. There were 12. I rang at 1. Um, no answer. I got through a quarter past 2. And the nurse answered the phone and she knew me. She said, Alison, go back to sleep. We'll call you if anything happens. And I said, look, can someone just please check on my mum? And she said, the nurse is on her break. Um, give a call back or she'll call you. And I gave, we were all awake, myself, my husband and my three kids sitting in the bed. It was like Christmas morning. And I said, look, will, we, will I phone again? And my husband said, give it a few minutes for the nurse to come back from her break to go up and get in and check on her. And the phone rang. So your mother has just passed so peaceful. So but, that was it. but 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 did she did she pass on her own? Well, I was told two people were with her. Um, I'm not going to give names, but I was told I was given the names of two people, staff members that were with my mom when she passed. But when I got the email back from the ombudsman last week, sorry, no, I was told the mercy can admit that she died alone. Oh my God! So why would they tell um, you differently? Alison. So I've made it aware to the ombudsman again that I've been told somebody, two people were with her and I gave them the name so they're following up on this complaint again. 
because they're dealing with people's state of mind, Neil. They're dealing with, like, I grieved for the first time properly, I think, last Monday when I read that. You know, and I was on my own when I got it. You got so some like, consolation with the belief that two people were with, with her and then subsequently yeah. been told that this wasn't the truth. They admitted that nobody was with her. She died alone. I have that from the mercy. <clears throat> you know? Oh, so dear. They need to make up their minds of what, because people weren't allowed in. They think they can say one thing to one person and one thing to another, you know, wherefore they just need to tell the truth. I wonder in the moment, did they say that because they thought you might feel better in the knowledge of that? Mm, they shouldn't have Neil. I would have I'm not to say, know, you know. Yeah, I know. I'm not saying it's yeah. right. I'm just wondering. I know that. I know. I know. But two, it's two, told two names. Yeah. Two names. I was given two names, not one, two. So like, you know. Um. So that's when you you say you can now grieve properly, cry, and scream, it, shout, whatever you wish to well, do. I was hysterical. I think my neighbours must have said last week, "What's that happening next door?" Because I just. A roar just came out. A scream just came out. It was like it was a different. I think I was. I had to pinch myself and said, "Am I just grieving now?" Because I can finally, I kind of get a bit of closure, you know. Yes. And I want to try and prevent it from happening to somebody else. Because yes. the mercy were upheld on ninety percent of my complaints from the ombudsman. Um, I'm a housewife, Neil. I'm a mom. I'm not a detective, but I tell you, at this stage, I could go into. There's no stone left unturned. You know husband. how to navigate the system because I you do. didn't. You just didn't take it lying down. You wanted answers no. to your questions. And I was told by people, look, give it up. Don't don't go down this route, you know. But I had to. I had to. No, I, I, I'm distraught from it. I didn't sleep. I'm not sleeping properly. I'm okay. Your life has changed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know. The Mercy says communication at this time proved challenging for staff, patients and their family members because we were in unprecedented times with health staff under significant pressure due to COVID. Uh, level 5 restrictions wave. and staff shortage. What you say? This is the third wave. Yeah. You learn from the first wave. You learn from the second. Mistakes should not be... That, that's grand. Errors, human errors can be made. But this is a human error beyond... Like... We, we, like, we actually need safeguarding bills to be put in place here, Neil, because it's, just, it's disgraceful that it's not actually imposed at the moment. People need to know. Yeah, you know? and that's why it's important people hear stories like yours and the story of your late yeah. mum, Alice. She'd be very she proud would. of you, though, Alison. She would. And, like, Neil, even care partners, this, is a, this should be put into place as well, that, like, it happened in the north during COVID. A care partner was put into place, so, like, if anything happened like this again... And, like, COVID can happen again, a pandemic can happen again, but, like, if this law is put into place for care partners, it gives someone, like, the likes of me, the right to go in and sit with my mother so she's not alone. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. Right, yeah. yeah, approaching the end that somebody would yeah. phone and say, Alison, it's time, come in, gown yeah. up or whatever, but you need to yeah. be here with her. You yeah. do it. Yeah. Even at the start, even before you at do the it. end. Of course you, you do, do it. You'd want to do it. Yeah. But, Neil, after my mum passed, um, when I did ring the nurse because they said you better come over with souls or she'd be buried in what you laid out in um, I, we were told you can all come over so at 2 minutes past 3 I received that phone call and she rang me back about 10 minutes past 3 saying can you bring over the clothes and you can all come over Yeah. so we f- I fought with every doctor every ward head every nurse you name it I'd have paid money to get in I'd have given a ransom to get in Yeah. but I couldn't but yeah. then when she died you can all come over. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't actually into a into an acute hospital setting like that. No. Listen, um, as I say, your man would be so proud of you. I'm sure yeah. that um, you know, you have you have the same kind of fighting spirit as your mother Alice. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, but now, we need we need a human rights led public inquiry as well here because 
it's the likes of my mum, her story that to come out. I'm not the only one, Neil. Mm, oh you no, know? I know, I know. I'm I, not. I, I think I'm, you're. I, I think you're right when you say that because I see people texting already with other stories involving their. Calling, I'm involved in, in an advocacy group called Care Champions, and Jellybeauty is amazing. I mean, I did all this on my own. I suppose until I didn't join that group until this year. But I've, I've kind of feel you can upload your worries, you can upload your stress, you know. Yeah, like my family, are, so my, my two brothers there, Eric, um, Bob and Michael Paul and my sister Sharon, they have been my rock, my yeah. husband, my three kids. Like, you need support. Yeah. I'm yeah. getting texts from strangers, you know. I hope all that Bob, helps. I hope all that helps. Bob, Michael Paul and Sharon, I want my family and my husband Stephen and my three daughters, they have been amazing. And, you know, my mother would have known they'd stood by me and they'd, they'd know, she'd know that, that, that I would fight. I, I did the fight at the end for her. Totally. You know, she, reared a gr- she reared a great clan of you, that's for sure. Yeah. Alison, yeah. look yeah. after yourself and thank you yeah, for thank sharing. You. I do appreciate no it. No problem. All thank the best. you so much. Take care. Do you remember Bye-bye. the late Alice Donovan? I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Available now, a brand new podcast, an Irish woman's true story of a life in the fast lane. We had this magical wedding coming up, like my life was perfect. Dozens of connections, hundreds of millions of euro, and then it turned to chaos. I'm trying to tell a toddler that her father is gone. A story of love and loss and a man who needs to be heard to be believed. Jamie used to always say to me, you couldn't make this you couldn't make this up. A brand new podcast available now. Go to the Go Loud app and tap podcasts to find and listen. Yes, indeed, and I just need to acknowledge actually how well the actual podcast is doing on uh, Go Loud, on Apple, uh, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. It's been a phenomenal four or five days since we launched the podcast, and the amount of people uh, that are downloading it and listening to it is just incredible. Now, um, I, I'm not really going to engage in this chart business, but, you know, like there are different podcast charts, and, who, and uh, you know, you couldn't make this up, is doing very, very well in the various charts, top five and all of them, two and one, uh, two and one of them and number four and the other. So that's just, that's just phenomenal. So I want to thank every single person. It's always a worry. I've never done anything like this before in the sense of, of a podcast that took so much work to put into it. Uh, myself and, and Seamus and Kevin and, and Claire and Lee and Mark Willington and everybody else uh, that was involved in it. But uh, you always worry that when you launch it and you put it out there that people will actually listen or like it. You know, it's, I mean, I, I hate using the analogy, but you're always, you're always afraid that, um, you know, people will, talk, will think, oh, my God almighty, what the hell is that? But it doesn't seem to be that way. So it's fabulous and I'm really delighted with um, how, how successful it's proving to be and the amount of people that are downloading and listening to it. But of course, one of the more important thank yous is to Kathleen for coming forward and telling her story. And literally, uh, she sums it up when she says, you couldn't make this up. So it is available if you haven't um, downloaded or listened to it. Perhaps you would, and maybe you might like to leave a review or a few stars, whatever the case may be. But thank you to everybody. 
you couldn't make this up is right. Um, in, in other news this morning, uh, I was talking about um, the chap who's doing the barbecuing and living next door to a vegan who is really, really annoyed with him because the smell of meat is wafting over the garden fence. A vegan says, I've been a vegan for many years. I've also worked in animal rescue for a long time. This vegan neighbour whinging to the other neighbour about the fumes from the barbecue sounds like a total muppet. I hope all the companion animals this vegan neighbour has are vegan too. No doubt they have a dog or a cat on the go and I wonder where their over-vocalised ethics lies in that area, as in, what's the dog eating? What's the cat eating? Um, I imagine if there is a dog or a cat, they've been driven berserk as well by the beautiful smell of steak or burgers or sausages barbecue. Anyway, having worked in animal rescue for so long, I can confirm that empty vessels make the most noise when it comes to stuff like this. Why doesn't she just shut her mouth whinging and educate in a nice way. Nothing but an idiot. So that's one vegan seriously criticising another vegan. Um, morning. Um, the NCT has failed, so why not copy the UK model? Your local garage registers with the Department of Transport. They carry out the check when you get your car serviced. Job done, says Pa. He's picking up on my story earlier on that the NCT has failed. Applets are being fined millions of euro for not delivering by the Irish state. And nothing seems to be getting any better. A simple solution to the NCT problem would be to have certs valid for two years, not just one. That would cut the backlog significantly. Uh, morning. Did you not know that I think there were no deaths on our road this weekend? Thank God. Must be a first and surely is worth a mention. Um, thank you. Uh, we did check online and found uh, online regarding deaths on the roads over the weekend. Absolutely nothing. So thank you. Uh, it is good news. Um, with regards to the cost of living that I was talking about, and I was giving you examples of a survey. I'll come back to that in a second. But here's an example of why uh, Irish holidaymakers are choosing to vacation abroad because they find Ireland too expensive and they can get better value overseas. Um, I have to highlight something I experienced in Clare over the weekend. I wanted to book a taxi for 10 people from Doolin to a restaurant 10 kilometres away. I called a local taxi company and he wanted €200 Euro to drop us off and collect us for a 20 kilometre round trip. I informed him there were four children in the group and he curtly replied that Michael O'Leary charges for kids' seats, so do I. Needless to say, we opted to drive ourselves. Well done. Somebody was on the Guinness Zero or the Heineken Zero and how bad. That's insane uh, because I know in rural Ireland, people who will be listening to me will agree that if you call a local taxi and you've got six or eight people, of the case may be, and let's say it's a 20 kilometre round trip, that should be in and around 60 to 80 euro absolutely max return. Absolutely, Max. So that's what the survey says. 2,000 people were surveyed. They said that they decided, six out of ten of them, decided to travel outside of Ireland because it represented better value for money than staying within the country. 72% of those surveyed believe that hotel prices um, are just way more expensive now compared to two or three years ago. And they have to ask the question why. People feel priced out of Irish holiday market this year and many of them are going overseas instead to get a break and they're getting better value. Your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868104106, which leads me nicely actually along to a story that made uh, The Independent uh, yesterday um, and it features the tourism industry being hit by restaurant staffing nightmares. And I think we all 
can see that actually and I've even spoken to restaurateurs and people even who have takeaways who've said I can't open I just can't open I have no staff I've got to wait until the weekend and even at that I can't guarantee that I'll have a full complement of staff but the article featured Mike Ryan who owns Cockpool and Corn Store he himself is chef and joins me by phone Mike good morning Neil, good morning. How are you? How how bad is it? Because they they chat. You you're a case study that made the Independent yesterday, where staff are telling you, "I won't come back until the sunshine leaves." Is that it? No, that 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 wasn't me. That was there was there was parts of other people. Okay, but but somebody I, I actually, haven't... some owner said, "My staff yeah. are telling me I don't want to come to work because the weather's too nice." What? Yeah, um, listen, I don't know. That's that's someone that's probably not is part time or is not taking their job seriously or just not happy with that job. I look, I, I don't, I don't. That's not the norm. Like I, people, people that are in the industry working at full time would be more dedicated than that. But there is there is a lot of transients in the in the industry right now because people are dipping in and out. And I suppose places would find not not I suppose most definitely places are finding it difficult to staff. And I suppose the main point that we were making on the on the article was that it was like there's a lot of skilled people gone from the industry. Um, this time of the year mm. you can pick up people that would be more um like students and whatnot that are looking for part time work or summer hours or places that would be more tourist areas that would need extra bodies they, to help they, out. They're very reliant on part-timers, aren't they? Particularly in the summer months. Yeah, they are. and I, But they always traditionally have been, but they've always had their core teams in place that would know the ins and outs of the business, the people that would be working there year in, year out, or would even do part-time, would work part-time through the year and maybe ramp up to full-time, depending on the situation and on the busier times of the year. But I suppose... Those people are not in the industry anymore, and that—that's where the problem lies. Where did they go? This was as a result of COVID and just reevaluating their lives, I suppose. Was it they just wanted jobs maybe. with better hours? Maybe, maybe that—that that I suppose looked at as a factor. It has to be. Um, you had a lot of people that left the industry. There was a lot of uncertainty. I have a lot of people that, like I know, that were in the industry are working for different companies right now. Um, that they multinationals and, and some are happy to work it um, some want to go back into the industry but you know they're kind of the, the money is better in what, what they might be in I'm glad so, you I'm glad you acknowledge that because that's what we hear constantly that the reason people leave is because the pay is bad but like as you just said earlier on there in a, in a survey 610 people want to, to to go to a different country to holiday like we we still have to operate and we still like, so it's getting more and more expensive. It's not as if like, I don't think anyone can safely can say that they could think that hotel or uh, restaurants are gouging their customers because we are so reliant on them all year round. And if you look, I've said, I've made this point before. If you look at menus from pre pandemic times online that, you know, be posted that, that, that would have, uh, would have historical dates on them that a restaurant put their menu up and look at it now. You won't see it gone up more than thirty yeah. percent. But like, instead, but we'd still say that. But people can say that inflation has gone up over, like, with the cost of everything. Okay. We yeah. all look at our own wallets; it's gone up twenty-five to forty percent on on certain items. So businesses still have to operate. Like, you open your doors to make money and provide a business, but if you don't make money, you won't stay open. Okay, okay, and but but you're not a, you're not a hotelier. I would be having a totally different conversation, yeah. wouldn't you agree? If I was talking to a hotelier and hotel mm-hmm. prices. Because that, 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 that is gouging. 
Well, they, 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 I suppose we can all say these things when you're in a business looking in over the ditch. There's also hidden costs there. So I don't want to go commenting on other, uh, other, other industries, but it does seem excessive, yes. Now, you were quoted in the article saying that you are forking out deposits to landlords so staff at Corn Store and Cockbull have somewhere to live. Is that how bad it's got? Well, yeah, it's very difficult. I'm sure anyone will tell you, I'm sure I think everyone knows how bad it is to get accommodation. If you're bringing someone in that's just starting uh, in the country or they're moving from, say, Dublin or they're moving from Limerick to come to Cork, you know, to look for the, some of the deposits are, it will be excessive, I would believe, these days because it's definitely uh, stacked against... What is it? Is uh, it a month or two months in advance? Is it a month? Two or three months. Depends, depends, on, depends, on, the, depends on the landlord. But I suppose we... Could it be it, three months in advance in some cases? It could be, yeah. Mother of God. Be. I've seen that, yeah. But like, we deal with companies like auctioneers that would actually, they wouldn't be like that. So basically, we would um, guarantee the um, property... Uh, would be underwritten through the company, our company, um, so that the the people that are moving in don't have to come up with a big deposit or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. Because so it, it's you know it's just something that we have it just accidentally fallen into. It does help or it helps us. It helps so one of the, the carrots that you use to get the skilled staff that you might need is that we will also set you up in accommodation. Yeah, yeah. But I, we wouldn't be alone in doing that. That is something, I think that is something that's been in place for a long time, but it's becoming, it's accelerated in the last couple of years. Um, but it's, 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 just, it's no different than any other company mm. bringing something into the country. But it's most like we, we, we look at every avenue and every, every route to try and secure the best candidate. And they look then for the employer that's going to give them as many options as possible. Um, but yet you still have 13 vacancies that you could fill in the morning if people wanted jobs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 but that would be, and I, that was, I suppose, that was spread between Cork and Limerick. But um, there were more senior roles to kind of alleviate the pressure on the people that are there already. Um, so a supervisor could pull in about 35 grand and a head chef could pull in, pull in about 55 grand plus bonuses. Um, yeah. And talk to me about tips since the rule changed with regards to tips. Is that becoming a substantial amount of income now? Are people tipping more? Um, but tipping, people are still tipping the same amount, I suppose. Always the system has been, when it's been cash, it's through the trunk system. So that's, that's through the, the, the staff in the restaurants themselves because uh, businesses are not supposed to be handling the cash because you have to tax them. If you hand cash over that's to the it. employee, yeah, yeah. you have to tax them. So that's always been a grey area and very difficult to, to manoeuvre because um, it, we can't get a clear answer on if we could actually do it, it would make it easier for the employees to everyone that there's no ambiguity between people. But to be fair, it always kind of, in, in most in most restaurants, I think it finds its level and everyone is happy because if they're not happy, it would be voiced. So if it's not being voiced, they're happy. Yeah, when yeah. it comes to, um, when it's when it's coming to, say, uh, paid through the, um, maybe a service charge or through a company card, then it has to be processed. And what happens is then there's a, it, it goes through um, yeah, accounts. Yeah, yeah. And accounts then have to put it into each person's pay slip yeah, yeah. and it's tax deducted then for the employee. Yeah. The are, are, are you hearing, because I certainly have heard and had conversations with restaurants and even bars, 
that can't open because of uh, shortages or have to curtail their opening hours very much because sure. they don't have. Sure, we do that ourselves. Yeah, I know, but uh, and I've seen it. I've seen it through the summer, like you places that are try to open and then they're closed the following maybe Monday or Tuesday because they gave it a go. But like the the, the reality Neil, is that it's on top of staffing to the gas electricity, just this the, just the overhead costs to open on a day with staffing the day, and then the volume of people that are in town, like town. The town Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is not as vibrant as it used to be. And it's it's very hard then when there's less people. Like, a lot of the daytime business in town came from people in town shopping. Yeah. There's an awful less shopping going on, so there's an awful lot of day business in, in, in restaurants and cafes. Well, you're not so going to get so many tourists if they can't afford a hotel bedroom. And then the survey also said that in Dublin, I don't know if it indicates Cork as well, that less people are coming into Dublin City because of antisocial behaviour, which makes the city look dirty. Is the same in Cork? Well, there's there's an optic out there that uh, the city has changed since the pandemic. Um, I suppose you read out a survey earlier on um, that the from Anglesey that the the crime levels were up twelve percent. Yeah, yeah. So, like yeah. that tells its own story. So, there, I suppose there there are there are anecdotal. Um, uh, stories out there about people not wanting to come into town but I suppose that could go for different areas as well but it's definitely not a help So when when is it going to improve? Uh, chefs are like hen's teeth in spite of good money being offered wait staff can't be got supervisors can't be got people working in kitchens can't be got is it destined to just get worse? I hope not but like you just keep you keep you keep the fight going, but like it it's becoming more and more difficult um, to operate. And I suppose it comes to a certain level that a business has to look at. Okay, like how much longer can we? If you don't, if you can't open seven days, you're losing out a percentage of your week's revenue. And I suppose you have to weigh up then at some stage because you're not opening, you still have your, your rent to pay, your overhead, your insurances, which is spread over seven days. Your, your rent is spread over seven days. So you kind of, sometimes there is going to be, unfortunately, losses in the market mm. and you will see premises closing down mm. and what will replace them, you know. So eventually maybe there'll just be lesser of uh, for, the t- for the time being until things, so you're going to lose uh, a certain amount and there'll be less of. There might be more people to go around in the operations and things will build from the ground up. Like there'll always be a hospitality sector, mm. but it's just, it, it's, it's true. It, it, it's going through many different phases of change over the last three, four years, you know. Now, we're never going to reach a point where we have similar prices as Spain or Portugal for for a meal. Not, no? Not, pos- no. not possible. No. Not possible. That's why people are going overseas then, but we can't replicate that, you're saying? Not a, no, but, but Ireland was never a, a budget destination, but we were always seen as a value for money when you got here. Everything you felt, okay, it was more expensive, but there's a reason why it's more expensive. And it's not because people are trying to get more money into their bank and as in businesses. It's, it's because the cost of doing business in this country is very, very expensive. Okay. And if you look at it, if you looked through the cost of doing business between Ireland and the rest of Europe, the, when you look at countries that would be on par with um, the cost of doing business, the cost of what it costs to eat out and drink out is the same or more and actually more. Mm. And mm. so like we still offer for what we have to what 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 the margins we're working off of? We still offer good value for money, even though if you just come back from Spain or Portugal, 
you may not believe that, mm-hmm. but you have to look at what people are being paid there. Not to, and the cost of living there. You go shopping there. You go to the local supermarkets there. You know, so everything everything is in a chain, and it just you know. But the thing is, when you they be like I've spoken to counterparts in different parts of Europe, and they would be horrified at the cost of our doing business. In this but country. do they also have the same issues regards to accommodation for staff? No, no most countries don't. And I, and I suppose I went to Austria at the start of the year. I was kind of with the restaurant association. It was just to see our counterparts there, just to see different parts of Europe. It was just for a few days. And I suppose the big question everyone, because we're all from different parts of the country, and we were there, and we just, um, we, the one big question was accommodation. And the accommodation was nowhere near, like it was a third of the price of Cork. And it was just, the, that was the big thing. But every, a lot of their other, like the other expenses were more or less the same, but the cost of living in the city was so much cheaper. Yeah, yeah. And then there was no cars. They didn't have to have cars because the public transport. So it was the, the background of, uh, um, of living, um, cost of living was a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. So um, it was easier to, even though the cost of going out to restaurants were comparable. Covered a lot of ground this morning. I'll let you get back to it. Appreciate you taking the All call right. as always. Mind yourself. Take care, Neil. Mike All Ryan, right. Cockpool and Corn Store. Imagine that. Uh, imagine, is that becoming much more prevalent there where bosses are forking out deposits to landlords so staff have somewhere to live if they bring in staff and they're re- relocating from other parts of Europe or indeed other parts of Ireland. Your thoughts on whether we're value for money here? Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Yeah, I read on an article from a chap who um, went on to Reddit actually to talk about his neighbour who happens to be vegan. This guy loves to barbecue in the back garden with the fabulous weather and he barbecues the steaks and he barbecues the burgers and he's barbecuing the sausages and maybe the chicken and all sorts of things like that. And his vegan neighbour is given him serious grief about the smell of meat cooking, wafting over the fence into the garden next door. Uh, Jane's a vegan, texted me, but it's coming on air in spite of that. Jane, good morning. Hi, Neil, how are you? I'm good. This um, <laughs> this is an interesting one, really, because uh, no law's broken here, so there's not a whole lot the neighbour can do, right? But I don't understand what the problem is. I mean, being a vegan myself, like walking down the street, you can smell it, you know what I mean? I yeah. don't... This is society, human society, just because the vegan doesn't like it. Well, it's not down the street. It's wafting into uh, her back garden, her private space. I'm living in a housing estate and I, well, I've only three dogs now, but my neighbours are barbecuing right, left and centre. Like, I don't, it doesn't, I don't understand, like, why it's a problem. Like, and my dogs would love to go in, to be honest. What do you, you what know, do you make of the as a vegan the wafting smell of uh, barbecuing steak? It doesn't bother me. I worked in animal animal rescue for many years. We fed, fed the dogs meat. Do you know what I mean? That's it. Like that's part and parcel of it. If you're out trapping, if you're out, like it's dog rescue predominantly that I worked in. And you, by the way, I just think somebody like that who's pontificating all the time, most likely, is just. I, like veganism transcends food first and foremost it, it, it it's pervasive in all your decisions in all your life you know mm, mm, so mm. how you approach other animals or other beings such as humans you know it, there's a way to do it and I'm sure that person wasn't born vegan you know what I mean it's very unlikely that the person 
explain. I just find that these guys, I said it in the email, empty vessels make the most noise, like the ones that are the most vocal are the least active in animal rights anyway. He says, he on- says, two days ago I made burgers for my family. After we ate, I started cleaning up the grill and stuff and my neighbour walked outside and said, you have to stop grilling because the smell of meat is disturbing me. Um, now, Yeah, look, sure, we all have to stop doing something because we disturb everybody else, you know, that's life, you know. Just because... <laughs> It's it's ridiculous. Like you, you I'm just wondering: is could you equate it? You know, to a vegan, the smell of grilled meat. Would you equate that with somebody's passive secondhand cigarette smoke? Annoying. No, you can't. Someone? You can't. No, because passive cigarette smoke is documented as being uh, damaging to your health. But we would the smell of grilling meat, though, not be psychologically no, damaging? Not at all. Because well, it shouldn't be. Unless they have, unless they have a negative association, most probably they're probably their mouth is probably watering <laughs> at the smell of it. You know what I mean? The vegan going, those those feckers are having. Well, most people don't become vegan because they don't like uh, animal derived products. Most people become well. You're a vegan because it's entirely animal centric. That veganism is not about. Like, say, McDonald's do a plant meal, right? A yeah. plant based meal. They they do a vegan meal. I think they call it. By its very nature, it cannot be vegan. It's plant-based, though. Vegan is regarding ethics and plant-based is regarding diet. And most people would become vegan. Well, I mean, everybody becomes vegan just by its very definition. But it's got to be a vegan burger. It doesn't have any meat in it. No, but I'm talking about the neighbour. No, it's not a vegan burger. It's a plant-based burger. Does that not make it vegan, though? No? No, it doesn't, because really? vegan veganism is about ethics. Plant-based is about diet. So you could eat a... We'll say, so vegans eat a plant-based diet, we'd say. <laughs> yeah, that's it, what I'm saying. No, but, but, like, how could McDonald's, seriously, how could anyone say, for example... I, I shouldn't have gone down this, this <laughs> one, because this is a vegan rabbit hole, right? But how could you say that McDonald's, who are responsible for farming... For the for the, for, for ah, my opinion, yeah, for farming, they are financing what we what I would say the mutilation and torture. Oh, of I, yeah, and so, uh, well, so and is anybody. All, I, I, yes. And then everyone's going, "Oh, McDonald's has a vegan deal." <laughs> And they're all going and thinking, you know, that's not... I it. get that's it, I understand it now, I understand. That's a very, very good point you're making. Do you salivate, though, do you salivate at all at maybe the smell of a, a sausage being Well, I or? don't, Neil. I worked in dog shelters for years, so I have no sense of smell. To be honest, that's why I managed to work in dog shelters, you know what I mean? Because if you've got a stomach upset with 30 dogs, let me tell you now... <laughs> I, 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 I have a constitution of an awful Okay, but do you, like, do you, but do no, you ever look across it? Would you eat, would you go out to eat in a restaurant with uh, a carnivore? Yeah, I mean, of course. <laughs> I feed, my, look, look, Neil, I feed my dogs. I, I look, there's another element here. Now, there, you can veganize dogs. And to be fair, any dogs that I've met that are vegan are in tip top condition. Tip top condition. And I met them at all different stages of their lives. But their owners could, are very, you, very careful it? supplementing, but you cannot veganize a cat. So we just say a neighbor like that who's going around going, I'm a vegan, I'm a vegan. Anyone that's vocalizing it like that anyway, I don't know. 
But you, but you enjoy it though. I mean, I don't mean to sound as if I'm the smell uh, of meat. No, no, I don't mean to sound as if I'm talking down to you. But you enjoy the vegan you diet. You you don't find it kind of boring or, or restrictive. No, you don't look across the plate at your at your friend having a a steak or a pork chop and wonder, oh God, I'd love that. No. It doesn't appeal to me, but sure, I'm making it for my dogs. My dogs have a cooked breakfast in the morning and a cooked dinner in the evening. They have fish, eggs and seaweed on top of their table in the morning and they get meat. Ideally, I don't want to do it, but I've had too many dogs to veganise them and I've only three left their old, so I'm just going to continue on, you know? But as far as these these vegans that are going around going, that's outrageous and all the rest of it, and then they're going in buying Hellman's mayonnaise, vegan mayonnaise, and you're like, oh, well, that's your support in the industry. That's that makes the proper anti- mayonnaise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're you actually mean. just financing the exact industry that you're saying you're against. All right, rock on, girl. You know? Rock on, rock on. Mind yourself yeah, and your doggies yeah. and your cats nice and all sorts of things like that. <laughs> Cheers, Jane. All the best. Text away six eight one zero four one zero six. The vegan neighbour complaining about the barbecue. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. I was talking earlier on this morning, uh, checking out the newspapers of a new burger that Lidl are selling now. It's insect larva. Um, and I suppose it's got a certain crunchiness to it. And it's available in Lidl. You can buy two for two ninety nine Frozen patties with 230 calories per serving. And low in fat and sugar, apparently. They're bugs nonetheless, though, or at least the larvae and the insect bugs. Uh, Some person who did try them said that they really had no taste bar a vague earthiness. Bar a vague earthiness. That's the latest one for you now. Larva burgers. Uh, You know, but very seriously, there was a story made the Irish Times showing that in um, the period of 10 years, the amount of prescriptions for antidepressants being issued to children under 15 more than doubled, went up by two and a half times. When they looked at the stats for 2012, six and a half thousand prescriptions for antidepressants were issued to children under the age of 15. Last year, it had gone from six and a half thousand to over 15,000 in 2022. Teenagers aged 12 to 15 in particular saw a 150% rise in the number of prescriptions issued. Isn't that ever so sad? Got a text in on that saying, I firmly believe that online gaming and social media is the cause of so many teenagers seeking help for depression now. They spend hours indoors alone and in the social media arena, they're constantly subjected to negativity. They also see fake people they believe they must emulate or don't live up to, not to mention online bullying and trolling. They should be out playing sports or engaging with friends and taking in the fresh air. It's sad to see so many of them now living their lives through the lens and constantly posting and taking selfies to get what? Approval or validation. And when they don't get it, of course, it spirals out of control for them. Thank you for that text. Keep them coming. Text 0868 104 106. I have some texts and emails on the hospitality industry, which I will come back to in a few minutes' time, but I don't want to keep Colin waiting too long. Uh, he uh, contacted me by text, having worked in hospitality for over 25 years. Colin, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? This I'm morning? good. And Thanks 18 of those, call. you're welcome, 18 of those 25 years, incidentally, were bars and restaurants in the United States, right? Yes, that's correct, yeah. You know, okay. just um, um, all over uh, Baltimore, uh, Maryland, uh, Arlington, Virginia. I worked in York, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, very, very, very busy, good, successful restaurants. But um, 
you know, the States is a different animal because you have the, the tip system is in the States. It's not necessarily here. You know, the tip system where you'd work in the States, you'd get, um, you'd get $200 for two weeks' work. So you get your state and federal taxes paid. However, you're working, you're basically hustling all day. You're mm. working for your tips. Mm. That's what you're doing. Mm. So the 200 is a flat wage for the week, right? Correct. But yeah, the tips then, the, twi- the tips would dwarf that, would it? Would they? Oh, completely. Well, it depends where you're working and what gig you have. You know, you're, you learn, you're like an independent contractor over there. As far as I'm concerned, you you get the good shift and you you stick to it. And you say, this is, you know, seniority. We take over there and we say you worked in a place for five years. You command a better shifts and therefore better shifts equals better tips. And the tips then you take home every night okay. from most places. So any tip that a customer gives you is not shared with the rest of the floor staff nor the kitchen staff? Not for the company I work for. The company I work for had three restaurants and you could take home your tips every night yourself. Every okay, yours. okay, yeah. okay, okay. So would would you be putting in four or five times the 200 kind of? Oh, and I'd work, uh, I'd work four shifts a week. Okay, hold on there, because this, this line is destined not to get any better and perhaps will get worse. So I'm going to see if I can maybe uh, flip the line and see if I can approve it, or at least get Claire to do it. If not, we might try you on WhatsApp. This is an ongoing issue. My apologies, I sound like a broken record. So as soon as that's cleaned up, I'll, I'll come back to Colin. So I'll give him back to you there, guys. Meanwhile, I want to do this email from somebody else who's worked um, in the hospitality industry. I currently work in a Cork hotel and my contract is for 16 hours. I've worked there since August 2021, part-time, but I've done full-time hours some weeks when needed. The agreement was that I was to do two days a week while I finished my degree in hospitality management and then go full-time for this summer. I was out sick for five weeks with a medical cert and was due back on Saturday. Uh, I messaged my manager and told him I'm available now for full-time hours because college is finished. I'm good to go. I checked my roster for the next week and he only had me down for two days again. However, at the same time, they are advertising online for the job I do part-time as a full-time position. Um, I called to ask, was there a reason they were advertising for a full-time positions when I'm available? And he said, unfortunately, we will only be keeping you part-time and we can talk about it in person. I applied for the full-time job anyway, online, but it seems to me that they are trying to force me out of my job and I feel like I'm not wanted there or I'm maybe being forced to quit. Hotels are hiring interns from Norway who work four days per week unpaid what? Come in from Norway. They work four days per week unpaid and they hire student chefs from France on apprenticeships. They charge extortionate amounts for rooms, which are sometimes not even cleaned properly. I have a level eight Bachelor of Business in Hospitality Management and the industry's brand image is disgusting within hospitality. They want money. I once heard a manager blame global warming as the reason why a guest room was so hot and offer them nothing more than a fan. And of course, we hear it every year that they're going to put in more and more air conditioning. And he goes on to talk about the fact that this is a 150-bedroom hotel, eight rooms of air conditioning. I have a lot more information on how this industry is bleeding its guests dry and the money people pay. So thank you for that email from somebody on the inside uh, looking out. I'll flip back to Colin. He should be on WhatsApp now. Colin, we just uh, we just par- we can park the tipping. But you, I, I asked you, would would yes. it be you know if the base salary was two hundred? Would be the tips four times? Would you make a grand a week? You were going to say more, I think. Oh, 
Easy, yes, easy. I'd do four shifts. I'd work Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday, and one weekend night, and I'd make, I'd make six, seven, eight hundred dollars a night. A night. Yeah, that's from five o'clock till two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. That's like yeah. twenty. But you're, that's twenty. That's two and a half grand a week for four shifts on tips. Absolutely, that's what it was. But you work, you work for them. I wasn't earning that when I went over there first. I had to work my way up the system to get what I wanted. Okay. So compare here yeah. then. Well, here is very different. Um, I, I worked here for a few years. I, I, I have a degree in hospitality management in, from uh, CERT there years ago, but I, I would consider myself a mixologist, so I'd be a professional cocktail maker. I went to school to learn that as well. So I worked in a few bars and restaurants in Cork for a few years when I was young, and then I went to the States and learned my experience. But the, the interesting thing about your conversation this morning is that I returned to Ireland after being abroad, and I had a, lucky enough to take a few years off but I decided to go back into the employment market. So two years ago, I started to put my resume on LinkedIn and I started to look for a job, basically, a good, a good full-time job. So I had about 10 interviews in a month and I got offered eight jobs, which is pretty good. Good, yeah. But to be honest, yeah. I'd expect it because I do have the experience and I, that's what I do for a living. But I turned down eight jobs because they wouldn't offer me the money. Okay. Were they all similar offers of money? Yes. Yes. Pretty much similar. Pretty much uh, 11, 50, 12 euros an hour, maybe 13 for for doing 40 40 plus shifts a week. Like I remember one hotel I interviewed for, which is a very prominent hotel in Cork. They took me around the building. It was very, very fancy. They said they were expanding this, expanding that, looking at this, putting more rooms here, spending millions of euros in the next four or five years. I said, this is fantastic. They call me up the next day with an offer of employment, the HR department. He offers me this amount an hour. And I said to him, I said to him, sir, with respect, I spoke to the general manager, yes, and I told him I would not work for less than this. So why are you offering me a job that I, did, I don't want? So do you, you know me ask, do you mind me asking what <clears throat> you pitched in at salary-wise? I would have started at 18. Right. And what did they offer? At 12. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's down. the ballpark. No, that's not every place, but that's that's what it is, and that's what you're looking at. You know, and the the, the biz, you know, the, the industry is fantastic. Now, don't get me wrong. I have a, I have a job right now. I really like, and uh, you know, I plan on staying there for a while. You know, I I landed a great job in the old head golf links there, and it's a fantastic oh, venue to God, work. Yeah, you it's certainly landed on your feet there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal place. And did to work, your did, were your salary expectations met? Um. Yes. Good. They were met, yes. Yeah. yes. Okay, so yes. you held out rather than taking the eight offers until you got something where you got a decent wage for the job you were doing. Correct, exactly. You- and that's that's the whole point of it. It shifts as well, you know. Employers in, in Ireland today, they seem set on these uh, split shifts. They bring a guy in at 12 or a, lead, a person, sorry, in at 12, 12 to 3 and 6 to close to cover the lunch shift and the, the, the late shift. What you need to do is hire an extra employee, which costs extra money, but you have that extra employee do the day shift, and then you hire an extra person to do the night shift. It's about costs, you know? So are split, split shifts shift, common, what it does, it kill, it, it, uh, I think they still are, yeah. And unfortunately, businesses get used to that. I I, I go back to the States. I start, When I started in the States, I was doing split shifts, and I wasn't happy. And after two years, you get burned out because it's day and night, day and night. We had a chat with the employer. There were six bartenders, and we changed the whole shift system. And it because, worked. Because where a split no shift exists, right? You do 12 to 3, 
then you're <coughs> off until six. What are you supposed to do with those three hours in the middle? You can't really do much. So you're you're tied into the job for those four or five shifts. Whereas if you knew you were doing days all week, one week, and then nights all night the next week, you can plan your life better and you're still earning the same money. You said in your text a lot of venues don't have a clue how to hold on to or treat experienced staff. I, I would I would think so, yes. You just have if you have an experienced staff member, you should treat them very well and you will hold on to them. You give them good shifts, you give them premium shifts and you play on the right money and they will stay. Yeah, but they're blue in the face saying that they can't afford to do any more than they're doing already with the cost of everything, you know? Well, I, I'm not an employer, you know. I, I get that, I understand that. I'm an employee, but you know, I would consider myself a, a loyal employee, an honest employee and someone who brings experience to the table. So don't offer me uh, 11 euros an hour or 10 euros an hour and say, I'll give you 40 hours a week and expect this. It's, 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 it's not, it's not acceptable. Well, it, it comes out at just over 400 euro a week before tax. Yes. And you're, you're spending uh, hundreds of thousands of euros expanding and putting this here and putting pillows in the rooms and, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, to upgrade. Well, if you upgrade your staff, you automatically upgrade your service and it's about the service industry. So if you have better yeah, staff, yeah. they're going to give better service, period, yeah, regardless. Yeah. I just to, I worked for a gentleman called Tim Bacon and he was one of the most successful restaurant entrepreneurs in the world, in Manchester. And his philosophy was, Neil, he wanted to train the staff the way he did. However, he said, if I have an asshole, excuse my language, behind the bar, my business fails. Yeah, yeah. And that was his quote. It's actually, it's, it's quoted, Tim yeah, Bacon. Yeah. Very successful guy. But I worked for him. Wait, he mentored me, actually. Yeah. Is it, is it that far too many Irish businesses don't look at the staff as being their most important asset? Yes. The staff is a lot more important than a fancy shelf behind you. If you go into a bar with your partner, your wife, whatever, and you sit down for a drink, the first thing you should expect is a is a is a, a nice greeting, not a how are you, you. If you know what I'm saying, no, obviously it depends on the venue. I get that, but I mean that that's standard. You know, hello, how are you? Upselling as well is another part of the business they don't really teach here. You know, like a, a guy comes in as a pint of Guinness and a, a drop of whiskey. You know, you did staff for for. All points of view should learn how to upsell that person to oh, a better. What are you trying to upsell them? You're trying to get them something. You're trying to upselling is trying to get somebody somebody to buy something that they never wanted. No, that they've already asked for, but you're offering a better version of it. Okay, for so example, they want the pint of stout and the whiskey. Yes. Your job is yes. sell them a uh, sell them a more expensive yes. whiskey. Well, you learn the whiskey, you learn five, six, eight, ten whiskeys off by heart and you say, okay, and it does depend on your client. You've got to read your client like anything else, you know, but if he's going to have a, a, a you're laughing, but if he's going to, if, and this. Well, Martin wants, wants to drop a powers and you're selling him a, a glass of the Macallan yes, well, or something. Well, no, that is the United States training too. We would have training every month on this. So basically, a guy would sit down on the counter and ask for a, could I get a Jameson? Your job is to get him to, to buy a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 21-year-old because, 
But that's good for you because it's your check percentage, but it's also good for the employer because he's making more money. I, I, know, the same I know that. I know that's an overseas thing. I, I, I know there's a friend of mine for years, Paul Greer. I don't know if you know Paul Greer. He had um, uh, Oz yes, Cafe I in do, Second yes. Park. And he yes. actually, he, yes. I don't know if he's still in the old head, but he certainly was there. Um, he yes, was, he is there and he's fantastic. You're spot on. Paul is a legend. I've never seen anybody be able to upsell wine as good as Paul <laughs> you Greer. Just said it. <laughs> you just need hit the nail on the head that's exactly what he does and he's still there and he's a fantastic Isn't he? work colleague and a fan- he's brilliant he's yeah, a superstar why, well. well, okay, why'd you come home though if there was huge money to be made in America oh, what um, uh, goes back I I came home for personal reasons you recall your the de- conversation the maybe five years yeah, ago so, yeah, yes yeah, yes yeah. so but the industry is fantastic and I love it but I just think that some you look at employers that Money, ships, hours, of course it matters. Of course it matters. It just does. You know, and just to, I know we're coming close to 11 o'clock there and just with, with traveling in Ireland and value for money, I'm lucky. I travel a lot myself, Neil, to countries. But Ireland is a fantastic country to travel in. But you have to look around. Like there are, I stayed in four venues last year. Killian Castle in Wexford. I don't know if you've ever stayed there. No. Nope. Uh, Lackey Castle in Doolin. Wilton Castle in Wexford and a place called Ballyglass Country House in Tipperary. Four places in particular. They were fantastic. All for less than €140 Euros a night. Yeah, they're there, but you have to search them out. Absolutely. Do, you, and the right time of year too, okay. if you know what I'm saying, because be, yeah, yeah. places are going to be expensive. You, you know? are right, I am out of time, but you must be getting glorious weather at the hotel, the last, the, at, the, at the golf links in the old head the last couple of oh, weeks. Oh, listen, the last week has been a dream to work. It's okay. the, the, everyone's in good form, they're great. You know, it's and you. I just so so funny you mentioned Paul there. He's such a fantastic. Give my regards, will you? And uh, make sure you all I stay will. hydrated and wear sunscreen. All right. If you if you get a chance to come out to the old head, please ask for Colin, and I'll take care of you. All right, man. You'd be upsetting me. <laughs> I'm lucky anyway. I don't. Okay, I'm lucky anyway. I don't drink spirits. I don't. I, drink, I know you don't. But give me a nice bottle of uh, 450 euro wine for you there. No, Neil. I don't touch that either. So you'll get nothing <laughs> okay. out of me, pal. I don't drink foxy water or any burning liquor. <laughs> well, maybe herself might have some. <laughs> have a great day, my man. Look after yourself. Listen. Thank you very much, Neil. Have Take a wonderful care. morning. Bye bye. Colin Murphy in Kinsale. Text 0868104106. We're back after 11. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Now. Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Fair play to Alison for coming on earlier this morning, telling us about her beautiful mother, Alice, and, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, the situation that led to her having to call 999 from her hospital bed in the Mercy. Uh, sadly, this should not have had to happen to Alison's mother, Alice. Alison and her family had fought to get the truth, and with other families, will continue fighting to get the change that's needed to protect our family members in all care settings. Unless someone has been affected by the loss of a loved one during the pandemic in all care settings, they will not fully understand what Alison and many other families have gone through and what they are still going through to get to the truth of what happened to their family members. Thanks for continuing highlighting this topic, Neil. Best regards, Pat Coyle. Now, Pat is actually involved with Care Champions and I've spoken to him many times about the death of his wife Veronica in the Ballino nursing home. So thank you, Pat. Kind regards to you. I totally agree with Alison. My mam died at the start of February 2021 all alone in the CUH. She contracted COVID on her last day 
in hospital. We saw her for only a few minutes the day before she passed on her own. She was totally out of it. She died with no one with her, all alone. I'm devastated over it and feel so robbed. They told us they would ring us if her condition changed, but no call until she had passed away. I feel the same as Alison, all alone, robbed, and that it was easier for them that she died is my feeling. One less person to nurse, says Mags. And another few, the HSC and this government should be charged with crimes against humanity. Get on the streets, enough is enough. Uh, Alison says about Alison, the poor lady Alison, what a horrific story. Uh, cheek of them telling her that her mother died in the company of two and then when she investigated, she found out it was a lie. Shame on them, says Eilish. My God, Neil, nothing has changed in the Mercy Hospital in the last two years. Disgraceful. My dad's story was very similar. In March of 2023, I was on the air with you. My dad will die in our care, not theirs. He's very sick, but no way will he go to the Mercy, says D in Blarney. Um, and then uh, a lot of other topics and different conversations including hospitality and restaurants and the cost of holidaying in Ireland. In Spain, the food is way cheaper. You get a bucket of any beer or alcohol pops for 7 to 10 euro. A bucketful. Ireland is beautiful in the sun but outrageous to holiday here. Morning, I was in Kinsale over the weekend. I went to a stand behind one of the hotels. I was charged 12 euro for a hot dog with a few small potatoes and 4 euro for a Coke. I walked off and left it. As in you didn't pay for it, even though they prepped it and handed it to you, you said no. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Overall, I would say that we get ripped off here and as a family of seven, we opt to go abroad for better value. Full stop. However, in saying that, we took our four children to the Cork City game yesterday, fiver a ticket per child, and prior to the game, we went for food in Flannery's. We bought dinner for all four, four fizzy drinks, two adult meals and drinks, and paid 89 euro, which we thought was great value. The kids had the best day, which was obviously helped by the result of the game, which was an absolute cracker. We were so thrilled to be able to give them such a wonderful day out in our own cork. It's just a shame that those types of days uh, out aren't always achievable because of the increased cost in everything. Love the show. And just two quick ones. About two weeks ago, the Disney Hotel in Paris was advertising rooms for €137 per night. You never see a hotel here putting prices on a TV ad. If hotels cared about tourists and the €8 billion industry around it, they would have filled the hotels. They wouldn't have filled their hotels with refugees if they cared about tourists. For them, you see, it's all about the money. Yet they can sell rooms to the government for €120 a night and charge tourists three or four times that price. Oh, and I'd say 70% of hotel staff are definitely on minimum wage, says Desi. And a final one for now, the hospitality industry is killing the hospitality industry. It's not solely the lack of staff. Business owners need to be honest and open. Joe Public is not being told the full truth. The staff will tell you the full truth. You'll get an honest, on-the-ground explanation from staff as to exactly what's going on. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. And staying then with tourism or heading away for a day, or people coming to Ireland and what they can see. I was telling you the story of uh, the uh, port in Yall last week and the atrocious condition of them. Let me bring Sean in uh, online too. Sean, good morning. Good morning, Mr. Pendle. How are you? How are you, pal? You sent, me, uh, you sent me a couple of photographs from... Is this uh, the Longstrand, is it? 
yes, Longstrand Beach, uh, just up by Clonic I okay. think you're familiar with the area. Yeah, because Longstrand would, would would kind of head into Inchidani, wouldn't it? And 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 the Warren areas. You've got yeah, I've got Longstrand. You've got uh, Onihincha to the west. Onihincha and the Warren, yeah, those three. Yeah, yeah. Longstrand is the one there with the with got the fish basket restaurant right beside it. And um, and all the walks around Casperic Woods that have been developed over the last yeah. few years. Okay, long strands. Um, yeah, yeah. When were you there? When were you there? I've been there all my life. Neil, I just lived just stone throw from it, so I've been there all my life. And as a kid growing up here in 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 the area, <clears throat> there's been there was a block of tiles there which were always maintained and looked after. Yeah, about ten years ago, the council for some reason decided to just block them up and close off the toilets. Um. Uh, pandemic came around. They put in temporary toilets um, for the summer of 2021. Um, they decided then to uh, September came. They took away the toilets again. Um, summer of 2022 they, came along. What did they do? 2022 came along. No toilets. Now we're into the season of 2023. No toilets. Um, and you and sent me a... records. I sent you photographs this morning. Okay. I got this morning. We took the dog for a walk. So one of the um, photographs is of the locked-up toilets, right? One of it is a locked-up toilet. They're, they're concrete built. They're and there, the second photograph then is along the walkway, which would be the sandy walkway, you know, down to the beach and what have you. Down and it's through... Yeah, you walk up. Yeah, basically yeah. just a stone throw from where those uh, toilets are, walking towards the beach. I came across as I was walking towards the beach with the dog this morning. Uh, toilet roll, human waste, and it's it's not, it's not, it's not there yesterday. I've seen it, Neil, but over the weekend, there was record numbers of people down around here. As you know yourself, you were down in Kerry. Yeah. You saw the numbers of people that were out yeah. in the boat. Mental. Um, no facilities whatsoever in the area. So people are going uh, up into the sand dunes with a toilet roll. That's what they're being driven yeah, to do. Like, there's, like you've got you've got Castle Freak Woods here. Uh, you've got Long Strand. You've got all the, the trails, all the walks. There's no facilities whatsoever in the whole area, public facilities. Uh, Peter in the fish basket, in fairness, he, he allows people in, use his bathrooms and stuff there. But that's not fair on him either. Because that's great food. I was down there, probably was during COVID actually, and I ate there. It's superb, the fish. It's a fantastic, right on the beach, it's a fantastic location. Yeah. Peter always looks after people there and stuff and um, that kind of stuff. But it's a disgrace, Neil. Like it's backwards. It's backwards. We've gone, you know, from. That's a health and safety years. issue, though, Sean. If people exactly, are being, you know, exactly. I said, to, I said to my to one of the girls there, it's a health and safety issue. Like you know, there's there's people coming. There's no, you, you 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 land on there, and no bathrooms, nowhere to go to the bathroom. No what are they supposed to do? What alternative do they have to taking um, a toilet roll into the sand dunes? Exactly, like people, like dogs can go where they want. Humans go down to the beach, like there's no facilities for, for, for like people have dogs, they pick up their, their dog pool, whatever, and they took off, take off their dogs. But human beings, there's no facilities for human beings, though. It's, a, it's a positive disgrace. Uh, they came along and as I said... I mean, I don't, mean to be, I don't mean to sound disgusting on a Tuesday morning, but if you pick up dog poo and you don't pick up your own... Uh, yeah. not, anyway, we, we shouldn't even have what to be I, having what this what conversation. I, what, I, what I saw this morning was that exactly what I was just mentioned, Neil, and it, was, it wasn't a, a nice thing to see in a, in a Tuesday morning. But, uh, um, like, you know, like I can't understand. Like, there's a block of toilets there, locked up. Um, there's, a, there's septic there, there's water there. 
I even walked around this morning. There's even there's electricity there, and there's a, there's a meter. But did you did you ask anyone in there. council or any local rep or anybody as there's, to? Why? Yeah, there's a there's a local there's a local organisation here, uh, and kind of overall the walks in the woods is up here, and they've been on to they've been on to um, politicians, they've been on to um, all sorts of people, Quilta, and there's there's like they're getting they're getting messages back and emails back saying that oh we haven't got the funding for it right now and all that kind of stuff. We haven't and, got um, the funding, what, to unlock the doors, give it a lick of paint, sanitise it and open it? Come on. Exactly. They're Come saying on. They haven't got the staff to man it. That's their thing as well. That's another thing they're saying. They haven't got the staff to man these toilets. But um, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's terrible. Like, I, is I it, it a blue flag beach? No, Long Strand isn't blue flag. Only Hinch, just to the west, is, is blue flag. Has only Hinch got a public toilet? They've got a public toilet. The Warren's got a public toilet. And Shani's got a public toilet. Even Red Strand, which is not even a, red, a blue flag, it's a small beach. It's got a toilet. Man's looked after, open and closed in the morning, closed at night, looked after properly. And Long Strand has been become one of the busiest beaches, probably the second busiest beach now in this area since the, since the walks and stuff opened up, since the fish basket came there. And um, it's just a really all your own need. It's gorgeous. There, you can, oh, my God, you can walk you can the whole estate. Yeah. Yeah, you can walk the whole estate of Castle Freak, right? And then when you finished your walk in Castle Freak, you're kind of up high, aren't you? You're up in the kind of hilly dunes, oh, looking yeah. down onto you're, the beach. Exactly, you've up to the high cross there, and you've got fantastic. Um, um, but did tourists stop you there. recently looking for a toilet? Exactly, I was I was out, out walking on the beach just I think just a week ago, and there was a, like a bus load of um, tourists, American small mini bus tourists, and they said to me they were after walking the beach. And they just said, uh, excuse me, you local, I said, I am. Is there a toilet in the area? No, there's no toilet here. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say there's no toilet here. I say you have to go to maybe, you maybe pop into the fish basket and then he'll look after you. But uh, no, no public facilities in the hall. But it's not area. up to the fish basket to be providing a public exactly, service. Exactly, like, like he's, paying for, he's paying his water and he's paying his, his septic and all that kind of stuff. And he's not... Got, um, so like there it is. It's, you'd say something if there wasn't a toilet there, but there it is, uh, male and female, is. all locked up, just sitting there. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's heartbreaking. Like as I said to one of the girls, like growing up in the eighties, we had we had uh, taps by the beach on the way out for washing the feet. All clothes, all gone. The toilets are locked up. Like you know, it's, it's backwards. It's backwards. It's, 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 it's backwards. backwards. We've gone. I've been staying out recently. You've been travelling as well, me. You, yeah. You've been all the place. Yeah. Spain recently I uh, stopped in a small beach in La Manga early morning I saw this guy coming along with a truck he came along serviced the toilets opened them up for the day moved on to the next beach done the same thing right down along probably you know there's the beach or beach yeah I beach. know I just I don't believe that it's funding I always believe if there's a will there's a way you know and I imagine that the long weekend that beach was rammed and people with their toilet yeah, rolls rushing oh, up into the dunes but like but to be honest you like Neil there was toilets there during the COVID uh, 2021 for summer 2021 Take it away again in September. Yeah, I know. You swear, like, after September, like, people didn't need to go to the bathroom anymore. Well, I suppose mm-hmm. that's true, but you certainly need it during peak months. Why else do you pay your yeah, taxes like, if but, you don't get like, services exactly, like that? Exactly, but the walks here, the walks here, like, are all your own, Neil. It's just really busy here now, all your own, the walks in the woods and, and, and the beach. Like, Sorry to hear that, own. man. Sorry to hear that. Let's, see if, we can get a, let's see if we can get a response from the County Council, because it's yeah. under the County Seriously. Council remit as to why. All right. Take care of yourself. Thanks exactly. for that. Cheers, Sean. Sure. Take care. Actually, and other things that are going on, um, <laughs> only in Ireland, you know Café Gusto's bo- bike, Café Gusto on Washington Street, they put the bike out, uh, all, I imagine it goes out every morning, comes back in in the evening, it's got their 
signage up on the bike. It's a beautiful bike. It was only stolen on Saturday morning. Um, they posted online, our Gusto bike was stolen from Washington Street yesterday morning. If you spot it anywhere in the city or surrounds, please let us know. You know, I don't know. It was backwards we're going, not front. And then somebody else sent me a photograph with uh, an attached message. Message first. It says, we were going for a walk yesterday morning down by Blackrock Castle Walkway by St. Luke's Home. I know, well, there's a bottle bank there. And I was so shocked to see rubbish that was just left there. And packets of tablets. I'm sending you the pictures. I just can't believe how people would do this. Don't give them my details. Yeah, and there it is. Just bags and bags and bags of rubbish. An awful lot of it. Alcohol, bulmers and Corona boxes and Coors Light boxes and boxes of, um, you know, what, what would have had a dozen bottles of wine in it. Loads and loads of rubbish. And there, right in the middle of it, is somebody's box of tablets with their name and everything on it. Uh, the name of the prescription on the tablets. So I imagine that would be a prosecutable offence now on the basis that if there's a will, there's a way that those involved at Cork City Council will be able to go to Macaulay's with the box. Um, would data protection allow them to find out who owned the box of tablets, uh, get their address and duly find them? Uh, because it's just litter uh, off the scale bags and boxes, huge big pile of the stuff uh, Yeah, and from that then down to the beaches of West Cork with people running up into the sand dunes with their toilet rolls At Inch Beach yesterday a human poo with toilet paper was among the rock pools that kids were playing in Every beach should have toilet facilities full stop, it's just a disgrace Inch Beach as well then, thank you for that after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. You can text 0868-104-106. Now we were talking about hospitality um, throughout the course of the morning and rates of pay, terms and conditions, split shifts and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, you you have to, you know, wonder as to why more people don't use it as a career option because they look at the maths and they look at the money and they realise, well... I'm never going to be able to make a career on that kind of money. And it's similar to people working in call centres. Um, certainly, we've been getting quite an amount. Oh, this all started, we were talking about TELUS last week, and I got us in conversation, many, many people texting with regards to their experience in call centres. And believe me, um, I only scratched the surface on it. I worked in a call centre for three and a half years in support. I loved it. Fabulous people learn so much from the environment. It's a hard graft. You'd be grey from it some days. I took all chances to upskill and it paid off. Managers can be toxic. Promotions given because of who you know. Uh, and a good few pints on a Friday. Uh, or won't challenge their reporting manner. That will get you ahead. This process is allowed because of senior management. They will ever only care about profit. A lot of contracts are government owned. So it says a lot too. They, that they are happy for people to be worked to the bone, our government, through call centres. Toxic companies are run by toxic management and they will never change when it's all about money. Get in, learn and get out is my advice. Uh, another one here. I worked on the Sky account in Abtran for four years and trust me, it's as bad if not worse than some people describing. The way it used to work is they would recruit the operations manager from within then put them in charge of a certain account. The manager would have friends all over uh, being bounced around and normally they'd recruit friends to take roles like team leaders and all this carry on. But the culture then becomes friends sorting out friends and the new hires coming in as agents just get shafted. Sky would put out a recommendation for a certain number of staff and a few months later they'd be put out, they'd put out a new lower number, meaning 
agents had to go. They then pick agents at random and listen to 40 of their calls until they find enough to sack them. And it was a constant vicious circle. Uh, They had me training classes with no facilities, systems that didn't work. A lot of time I had a class of 15 in front of me and zero training material. I just had to get on with it. I could go into much more detail, um, but it would be like reading a book. And one other one. Can't agree more with what I'm hearing about call centres. I worked in one of them for 18 months. The worst worst place I ever worked. Management was clueless. Many people with no experience who thought they were better than the average worker with a sense of entitlement. Wages were shocking. I worked on different accounts that would have made the news at the time. Susie Grants, Irish Water, local property tax and received verbal abuse and threats on a daily basis from callers. People threatened suicide over the phone. Even received a call where a parent thought they might find their child in a river if they didn't get their college grant. That's what they said to me. Time away from desk might be needed after a call like this. You click on your computer, you're allowed 10 minutes, a minute over, and you're summoned. Same with start and finishing time. Awful, awful, awful experience as a job. And that's just a selection. There will be more of those texts where they come from. Hopefully between now and midday, but I'll dip back in again. One fast one, though, says I worked in a call. I worked in call centers in Spain and we had a lot of pressure for targets and everything was timed. But they also made it exciting. If we were the winning team, we would have pizza and beer in the office at the end of the week. But I agree with your many messages that it's a young person's game. Full stop. Yeah. And it's kind of like um, it's 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 a stop off on a path to better things. An awful lot of people have been saying to me. Anyway, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Um, you know, I was telling you recently about Shandon, uh, the, the four-faced liar and the state of the, the clock and, and things like that. And also the Mangan's clock. And then we were talking about, you know, lack of toilets on beaches and stuff like that. I get I get the feeling that unfortunately, all too often, you know, things aren't looked after you know, as well as they should be looked after. And, you know, if you catch it early enough, things don't get worse and worse and worse. Why am I saying that? Well, I was reading at the weekend of these growing cracks on the famous English market. You know, if you look at some of the photographs that we can share online, certainly on the Grand Parade entrance, you will see really dangerous cracks coming down the front of the facade. It needs attention and it needs it badly. And I was reading somewhere in one of the articles that um, this actually could lead to a major structural failure by all accounts. I don't mean to panic people, uh, but this is the reality of it. Um, I just want to talk to Tim Mulcahy, who has the chicken in, because he's going in and out that front door for many a year now. Tim, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So Cork Bio are reporting that if it gets worse, yeah, if it gets worse, the wear and tear... They've actually had to put railings around part of it on the Grand Parade now because of falling debris, they're saying. Is that right? Well, there's, there's certainly railings around it. Um, I think there's a, an issue with the ornate kind of plasterwork that's um, there on the on the facade. Is that the um, old Hilser's Jewellers building that's, part? That's the old Hilser's Jewellers building, uh, which only recently there became, uh, came back under the control of the Cork City Council again. Um, so it's uh, yeah. Look, it's not ideal. Uh, we don't want to see the the front of the market cordoned off. We certainly don't want to see it uh, crumbling. Um, but uh, I just briefly asked around there amongst the traders committee there this morning, and um, I was told that there was uh, conservation orders in play. So, like uh, architects, engineers, they all have to be brought in. 
um, and that's what the best way about it is because uh, they can't just go up and make a few slabs of plaster on it. No, it's much it's there. much deeper. These are structural, they're saying. Um, yeah. And these railings well, have been there since February. Deep cracks, which is saying that the structure is under severe stress with risk of further collapse. Yeah. Well, again, I suppose the ideal opportunity to have a good look at the market would have been when the when the capital was built next door because it was the first time in a long, long time the side the, the side aspect of the market was exposed. Um, and again, it's probably something that should have been um, looked at. Um, maybe we do, we don't know whether it was during the build, whether something happened that might have undermined it. Yeah. Like nobody nobody kind of knows, you know. But I mean, the council have been in touch with the Traders Association and they've informed them that it it is a priority. It's not something they want to see happen. Um, but it's a case of just uh, gathering the necessarily expertise together to try and get answers and a plan together. It's it's kind of urgent though, isn't it? Uh, when you look at those cracks, because there oh, must be fierce pressure to crack like that. Oh, 100%. And Neil, believe you me, the Traders Committee in the English market have been actively looking to meet the council um, over this and have made several inquiries. Um, they did get a response. Uh, they did get um, a bit of... Uh, yeah, a bit of an idea of the issues that are facing them uh, with regard to this, um, and they they have it on certainly they have it high on the agenda. Because there's only one thing's going to happen there; they're not going to disappear. Those cracks are going to get bigger and wider and wider. Yes. Were you a small boy in short pants when the English market was destroyed in 1980? Um, I was indeed. Do you well, I wasn't. I was. I was. Uh, I suppose I was. It wasn't too far away from my uh, my communion. Right, so, so you weren't working in the market then? No, no. But it, look, Neil, anything that happened in the market was spoken about at home growing up. Um, it's a family business and it it was never too far away from the table. I can well imagine back then because there was nothing left after that fire. Um, did the so, family Did the family think they'd never be back? Well, I suppose we were we were lucky in the sense that it affected the Princess Street side more than the Grand Parade side. Uh, we were situated obviously on the on the Grand Parade end, um, but interestingly, interestingly enough, when we were redoing our own stalls, um, maybe fifteen twenty years later, you could get the scorch marks on the timbers when we were taking the the, the beans. Isn't um, that so like, yeah. No, I mean, incredible. just I'm only mentioning that because we don't want to repeat where there's some sort of a terrible, terrible accident. Well, it won't be an accident because we can see what can potentially happen. Yeah, you know, if it collapses. And like, I suppose, I suppose after that fire, like what what came out of the ashes there, um, is is tremendous. It's it's an absolute. The, the Prince Street side of the market is an absolute. Uh, beautiful parts totally yeah can um, I, yeah, yeah can I just yeah. can I ask you because um, I'm just going through the article in, in Cork Bio these plans to install public toilets in the old Hilsers jewellers is there no public toilet already in the market um, there are public toilets in the market but they're um, they're, they're not sufficient yeah um, there are staff toilets in the market and there are 
there are public toilets in the market, but um, it's it's not. They're not sufficient. They're not ideal. So, is that the intention of the jewellers? Is to be a public toilet? I I wouldn't think so, Neil. To be honest, you. Um, I wouldn't think so. Again, I'm not close to those kind of decisions, even on. A trader's level. Yeah, I know it's just Corpio suggesting that there have been plans to install public toilets in the old Hillster jewellers, but this wasn't followed through by Cork City Council. It's believed because of the cracks in the building. Poss- so, Yeah, possibly. Again, I suppose, like, they only recently, well, I don't know how recently they took it over, um, but, like, uh, like, they haven't really come along and assessed it. All right. Uh, it hasn't been in their possession yeah. for a long, long time. Um, and sometimes the, when the landlord goes back in, they see things that maybe um, other people hadn't seen while it was being occupied. Um, and then being such a, a public building, like it becomes, it becomes, uh, and being on a, a major thoroughfare, it's gotcha, a, yeah, a yeah, difficult yeah, one yeah. to... I think uh, it would be a great idea, though, because we don't have public toilets in the city and that would be a terrific thing where people can just, you know... Oh, 100%. I mean, any anywhere for a public toilet. The, the, I remember it, when when this was uh, thought about first, uh, the biggest question that the traders in the market had, like, it wasn't so much about the actual physical public toilets being there. It was about the ownership and ownership of them, taking responsibility for them yeah. and maintaining them to a high standard. Just finally, just just finally, um, are are you still getting lots of tourists? Remember that story from before COVID, where you the liners, passengers, and tourists they come up from Cove, don't they? At least some of them, right? Are they? They do. Yeah. Are they still traipsing around buying nothing? Um, we're we're not getting. We'll say, shall we say, at the moment, we're not getting the the crowd that are going around following the the lollipop stick. Um, with the, the headphones plugged in um, and just looking around the place. Um, sometimes we see like there's going to be bananas thrown in over. As if you're in a zoo. A photo. Um, but look, Neil, we're getting some lovely American people. We're getting some lovely Europeans. Um, they're mad for chat. They're good crack. Um, and it would be just nice like, if they bought something, Tim, right? <laughs> well, Neil, they might go down into a coffee shop there and they might buy a chicken sandwich. <laughs> oh, I feel your chicken. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, Paul, so, Paul Tree in motion. Fair play to you. Thanks for, take, thanks for taking the call. Thanks for the update. Take care of yourself. Thanks to you. Tim Mulcahy right. at the Chicken Inn. Um, that was one of the stories, actually, that we we're talking about. Uh, Stallholders have said the English market has never been posh and it's sometimes shabby appearances in tune with what has been in Cork for 200 years. A busy working market for the people of Cork and one that is the envy of other cities, including Dublin, which lost similar places like the Ive market a long time ago. Uh, of course, you have the, the talk as well then about um, the fear of the English market is being taken for granted. And some stallholders have pointed to the long queues of tour groups off the liners that visit Cove outside the one single public toilet in the entire English market as a symbol of failure to invest in the future. Um, 
I, I think it's all very well doing it for the tourists, but we should be doing it for ourselves as well, though. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Should have mentioned this earlier on this morning, um, but uh, and I know that um, you know the bank holiday weekend. I was kind of all up in a heap uh, with uh, trying to sort out different aspects for the program. But one of them, of course, was the Uni Pizza Oven that was given to me by Hanley's, and uh, you know I had planned on doing it but I just it got away from me and then we ran out of time on Friday and today hold my hands up again I didn't get to it but I will be tomorrow so we've already had some great calls on air from people sharing their best summer sunshine memory so you still have one day uh, to text with your best summer sunshine memory ideally come on air and of course the best caller and I will do it in the morning absolutely 100% and somebody will win and go off and pick it up themselves at Hanley's Garden Centre on the Kinsale Road roundabout an uni pizza oven to the value of 400 euro Uh, it's a fine piece of kit Uh, you prepare the pizza bung it in the oven outdoors and the pizza's cooked in 60 seconds so I definitely will do it tomorrow but one or two other things good morning from beautiful Ballybunion here on the beach please wish good luck to my granddaughter Lily Hayes and my nieces Leah Griffin and Ava Leahy who are doing their exams tomorrow thanks Neil from your friend Margaret Hayes and good luck to you so it's leaving cert and junior cert tomorrow for 120,000 students and there's little now can be said to the students themselves um, but there are some words of advice from all sorts of people involved in uh, working with students and working within you know groups that look after their their stress levels and what have you and here are a couple of the tips that they're giving and it's in the mirror this morning this uh, kind of directing this to the students themselves if they're listening but I suppose one way of getting to them is through the parents who are definitely listening and they say that today as in the day before the first exam it's recommended that you write down a quick plan of what you're going to do and only focus on the subject you have the day following right so whatever the exam tomorrow is that's all you should be thinking about is that one and you do that every day stuff like that they also say that the night before a lot of students tend to stay up really late the night before an exam desperately trying to cram every last piece of information Um, the uh, advice is avoid this don't do it At this stage, it won't make any difference. Sleep is what's crucial for concentration and productivity. So they're saying go to bed early and get the last few notes into your head the next morning when you're more refreshed. So a good night's sleep and then maybe a little refresh in the morning. They also talk about food, you know, what you eat around exam time. This is for for parents and, and students alike. So they're saying do not skip breakfast, especially on the day of the exam. Carbohydrate is great for energy. And they say you might be tempted to go for the energy drinks or coffee or tea. And they're not recommending that. They're saying too much caffeine will affect your sleeping patterns. Water is your only friend. Regular sips of water, especially in the exam. So have water. Dehydration affects concentration. Then they look at stress, you know, and they talk about calming practices. Build those into your day. Um, I hope to have more time on that tomorrow, but they do talk about meditating. They talk about yoga. They talk about the importance of exercise right through the exam to release the happy hormones and to make you feel more relaxed. I hope all of this helps. It's, It's worth doing a couple of minutes on it. They also talk about delete your social media apps. They did a survey recently where they said 54% of students said that apps like TikTok and Instagram seriously impacted their concentration or their ability to study. I'm thinking that maybe you should have had the apps deleted 
three months ago or six months ago and you're getting stuck into the serious study, but it's never too late to take a break from them. Delete your social media apps. And then when the end comes after the exams, once the exam is over, forget about it. Don't go into major detail over each exam after you've sat and taken it. Move on. There's nothing you can do about the past, so focus on what you can do next. That's just a few tips. They come from StudyClicks, Ireland's largest study website. It's got 200,000 registered secondary school users and 29,000 secondary school teachers. And you can check them out yourself if you're a student or if you're the parent of a student, studyclicks.ie, as in C-L-I-X dot I-E. But good luck to everybody sitting, leaving cert and junior cert tomorrow. Um, just before I love you and leave you, i got about 10 minutes left. I had hoped to do this last week, but it's never too late to get behind, to get behind the ladies' Irish soccer team. They're off to the World Cup. And I was, if you were listening to the programme, I was mentioning the football star Stephanie Roach recently because she has come out and said, and she's calling on all punters and all pubs to get behind the girls, get on the bandwagon and back the Irish women's rugby, uh, sorry, Irish women's soccer World Cup team, like we did, say, for instance, as an example, for Italia 90, for the men. Um, Because it's the women are flying the international flag for us these days. And she says, the whole country, everybody knows we like to jump on the bandwagon, so hopefully everybody will jump on our bandwagon and we'll get even more support. So Ireland opens their World Cup campaign against hosts Australia on July 20th and of course we have Denise O'Sullivan on the ladies Irish soccer team. She's in America at the moment uh, but her sister Sinead is on terra firma here in Cork and joins me by phone. Sinead, good morning. Morning Neil, how are you? I'm grand and I bet you that Denise (laughs) and indeed your good self would back what Stephanie Roach is saying. Let's make it a huge big party. For the girls, yeah, yeah, one hundred and twenty percent, yeah, yeah. We need to, we need to start getting the flags out now and getting the ball rolling. Don't yeah, we? I mean, yeah. all of these matches are going to be televised. RTE have secured the rights, so it'll all be available. We can, you know, do the pub thing or do the home thing or just get involved, right? Yeah, just get involved, basically. Yeah, um, they need it. I think. I think, as you know, with the men's, the men's always get the support. Mm-hmm. And I think now, I mean, this is the first time the women have qualified for the World Cup. This is big, like it's big. This is big. It is big. It's Australia big. and New Zealand yeah. are the hosts, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So their first game is the twentieth of July, Australia. So that would be outstanding. So. Well, we're, well, you know that we're not going. We couldn't go. So, look, unfortunately, but look, we're all back here. We're going to do it back here and we're going to make it big. Um, so, for the first game, we're going to try to do something in my mother's estate, trying to get the outdoor screen up there and get as many people together. And Where will that you know? be? Where's home? Lockneeny. I love so, it. I love it. Yeah, love yeah. It. North side. <laughs> and it, like, for those that don't know it, Denise is playing in America, isn't she, with the North Carolina Courage, isn't it? Isn't that the team? Yeah, Denise is with North Carolina, yeah. She's, yeah, she's yeah. totally professional, full-time, all the time. She's outstanding. She is <laughs> outstanding. I was like, I have, I have a story to tell you about Denise. I remember Denise when she was seven or eight. She came back from school and the teacher asked her to just outline her future, you know. And at the time, she played soccer. She played since she was three. So Denise reached down. And my mother still has it on the fridge in the kitchen, actually, that she'll play for Cork City. 
she'll play for Ireland, she'll play for United, she'll go and play for America, she'll drive her Ferrari and she'll have her big house. Okay, how many boxes has she ticked? Uh, most of them. <laughs> the Ferrari and the big house? Yeah, that'll be next. Uh, well, you got to set your sights high, don't you? Yeah, you do. Of course you do, yeah. So anyway, so what I want to do is just try to get the people of Cork and Ireland just to kind of... I support support her 120%, you know, we need it. Um, And she's back on the actual 26th of June. June. She's back for a few days. We thought she wouldn't be able to come back, but thankfully she was able to come back. So she's back for a few days, so we're going to do a little bit of um, a farewell party. We're going to do it for my mum's estate up in Nakanahini. So we're hoping that, look, She'll probably kill me for doing this, but we're hoping. Does to she know your plan? Do you know? Does she know your? She knows about? that we're doing little bits. Yeah. She knows that we're doing little bits. So and look, she's in America. She won't hear this. <laughs> oh, of course not. It's a different planet. <laughs> uh, she's in a different world. So we're hoping, like, even if we got a bus and kind of just put her on the bus and kind of. So you because yeah, because you're organising a huge farewell party for Denise mm. to he- before yeah. she heads off to join the squad outside yeah, the youth exactly. centre in Ochnahini on the twenty eighth. No, we're at going to do it in my mother's estate oh, we changed okay. it to you my changed. mother's because you know what she grew up do you know what she kicked that was where she kicked her first ball with all my brothers and so we said you know we'll keep it there it'd be lovely all the tourists will come out and whoever then would want to come up and just you know I suppose to get a few jerseys signed for their kids and, and then and a big that, send off in an open top bus yeah, we were hoping to do that. How would she, <laughs> would she, how, would she be mortified about that now? Probably, probably, yeah, 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 yeah. She, she's going to kill me, like. So when she was growing up, right? When she was growing up and playing soccer, was she handier than the boys? Ah, uh, yeah, ran rings around them. And how did they feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> Devastated, but look, you know what? She was, she done it to every boy in the north side. Any, any lads that would tell you speak to you today said that about Denise. I mean, we used to do the, the youth centre below, you know, and she used to be with all the boys teams and the boys teams. And you know what? She was just, she's a cracker. Like, when did she, she get her first break then? How did that happen? Her first break, let me think, was, um, I suppose it was Glasgow, wasn't it? Glasgow, yeah, yeah, Glasgow. I'm going to have and to swat up on the women's team, to be quite honest with you. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm lacking like a lot of people, I suppose. I'm going to have to work hard. I think, on it. yeah, yeah, but you know what? It is getting a bit better. I think it's, it's, it's coming around. I mean, look, we have the game up in July. What day is that? It's the sixth of July up in Dublin. So I think that would be a sellout. That was farewell. So that will be a sellout. And then they're playing in the Fivia Stadium in September, which will be an outstanding game. First time ever played in the Fivia Stadium. So, Big time. I, know, yeah, I, yeah. I was chatting with the lads here at Red FM uh, the back end of last week, and they're mad keen to get behind all of the ladies and to, particularly to support Denise in any way we can at the radio station. Brilliant. And I know that Seamus has been in touch uh, with Linda from Carney's Coaches. They're trying their best to pull out all the stops to make this happen. I don't know what the availability is of an open top bus. Like we have the Red <laughs> FM bus, but it's not an open an open top bus. Yeah. yeah um, so yeah. It, it's not as if we're not working in the background. We are to try look, and make this happen look, for you. That's okay. And if it doesn't, that's fine. She'll be still outside my mother's door, and she'll still we'll still have to. Oh, farewell. I think if we can get you know? a party going so, on that day, is it on the twenty eighth or around the twenty eighth? Um, it's on the 28th, that's the Wednesday night, so we're going to do it between 6 and 7 o'clock that evening. 
I so, think the lads I think the lads would be keen to have the red patrollers there and get behind it big time, really, you know, to yeah, really kind of throw the kitchen sink at it. Yeah. So as soon yeah. as as soon as Carney's come back with hopefully some good news, there's gotta be an open top bus on Lee side <laughs> somewhere. And if there is, yeah. we'll it's yeah, the only one that I know of actually is the tourist tour bus, isn't it? The one that goes around the city? I think so, yeah. Maybe that's the one, maybe, okay, yeah. But well, look, you know what? You never yeah. know. You never know. You never know. Look, you know, you never know. Exactly, It, it yeah. won't be for the one to trying anyway. You must, you must be all mad proud of her, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. We're delighted with her. We're delighted with her. She's brilliant. She's outstanding. Okay. Well, I'll stay in touch yeah. with you, Sinead, and as soon as we've updates, right. we'll make it happen if it's at all possible. All right? No problem. Thanks for my call. Okay. You're the best. Take Thanks care. Time. Cheers, bye Sinead. Bye. Take bye. care. If anybody can point us in the right direction, Carney's can, all right? But if there's anybody else out there at the same time that knows of an open-top bus, and we'll get behind it big time on the day uh, to wish and to send Denise off in style. Do get in touch. Text 0868104106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. And from one great Cork soccer player, Denise O'Sullivan, to another, the great Roy Keane. There's a story buried away in the mirror this morning saying that Roy Keane has come fifth on a list of the sexiest retired footballers. And sure, why wouldn't he? He's one sexy beast. The 51-year-old Corkman came in ahead of former teammate David Beckham, but behind the ex-Real Madrid star Gareth Bale. So Keane is fifth on the list. Research carried out for the online football ticket site Ticketgum put the Italian, and I'm going to have a Lana moment here now and probably mispronunciate this soccer player's name, Danielle De Rossi, a 39-year-old Italian. What can you do about the Italians? They just, they have the looks and the style, haven't they, before they get out of bed in the morning. They even look good when they just woke up. What can you do? But anyway, Kino is fifth in this list of the sexiest retired footballers. And very finally, you know, I was talking about the man who was having barbecues, but he's got a vegan neighbour who's complaining all the time at the wafting aroma of barbecuing meat coming across the fence. Uh, on both sides of me, a couple of days over the weekend, both neighbours had a barbie. It was very close to the fence, so I experienced fumes first and then the smell of the food. If it's far away, it can be a nice smell. But when it gets into your house late at night, you can't escape the smells. It's like in every corner of the house. It can make you feel nauseous. It's like cooking a fry where you haven't opened your windows and it's lingering everywhere now. It's nice at first, but then it's sickening. I haven't complained to the neighbour as I feel it would be done. It would be done. It would make things matter matters worse. But I do feel it should be done at the end of the garden where it's not near people's patio doors and windows. I missed the start of the programme and my cousin told me the topic was being discussed as I had complained about it to her. Please, though, don't give up my details. So apparently there's, and this is not a vegan on the other side of the fence, it's just the nauseating smell. You know what? Hang in there because soon enough we won't have opportunities to Barbie when the weather breaks again. (laughs) I'm assuming that it will. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.